Cheers, cheers. Oh, fuck, what was that? Let's try again. Cheers. Still pretty pissy, but we'll just go with that. One, once more for luck. That's better. That's better. All right. I'm Ambi. I'm Kana. Welcome to Diplomacy Games. And we have moved for this third in what is a marathon for us, but what is, um, what, a, a month and a half for you guys? Of recording, yeah. Of recordings, yeah. So we've now moved to, is it called the Terrace? Which is in the Emporium Hotel in South Bank in Brisbane. What a view. Okay. It's, it's a rooftop bar. They call it rooftop. It's like at the top of the skyscraper. What are we in? Uh, it, apparently, was it 21 or 22nd stories up we are? 21 stories up. Yep. There's a pool. Overlooking the river and the city. Swanky bar. And, and, and we did sort of think about uh, drinking out on the balcony. Um, and both of us sort of stepped out, had one look around and went, yeah. toes, well, are, toes are tingling. It's, and not, it's not the look around, it's the looking down. <laughs> um, when I was 17, we're in, um, in high school, we had like our, our school trip when we went to New Zealand. We went to um, Queenstown. And I was like, yeah, 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 I'm going to do bungee jumping because, you know, 17-year-olds are full of bravado and shit. Yep. And then the closer and closer and closer it got, I went, nah, I can't really do that. I'm not going to do bungee jumping. <laughs> um, just the whole um, vertigo thing. Fine with looking out horizontally across the horizon, just when you're looking down, anything more than like, I don't know, five or six stories is just a bit... A bit too much. A bit too much. Yeah, it's a bit too much for me. Um, we've got a pool here, one of those... Um, Infinity pools. An infinity pool as well, which is pretty cool. We were going to go out there, but... Um, they said no glass, no glass out there. We've yeah. got glass glasses, and um, well, I'm drinking and hotel guests only, and we're not hotel guests. What are you having? I'm drinking a James Squire Orchard Crush. I was going to say that looks very floral. Hmm. I, I, I think James Squire is a good brew. We should drink at the one in um, at, at, at South Brisbane. That's the right idea. Microbrew at some point. Well, yeah, maybe it's next. The logical next one. Yeah, it's a logical spot. Surprised we haven't covered it. Yet. No. Like we haven't done the ship in down that way either. Correct, we haven't. So there's the, there's 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 up and coming for 2019, folks. Yeah, we are. Yep. What are you drinking, Andy? Oh, right. Yes. Um, let me quickly check. I took a photograph of the wine menu. This is really really nice. Much better than the other ship we were having. Well, I had. Um, this is a Ruston Good Shepherd Malbec from the Barossa in South Australia, and it is very nice. Delicious. Yeah, yeah. It's um. He's, he's smelling it. He's swilling it. It's like a, a juicy, tart fruitcake. Oh, yeah. If you're into fruitcake, sounds good. Yeah. I wouldn't say Christmas cake. It's more... It's got a tartness in it that's really nice, though. Very nice on the nose, though. The, the nose is very floral. Not as floral as yours. <laughs> Very raspberries, red currants, that type of shit. Well, I, I quite like uh, I quite like a, a James Squire, and it sounds like you're enjoying your your wine as well. Yeah. Anyway, um, onto why we're here. Yes, we're here to discuss Captain Meme's interview. Interview number three. Number three, our second reappearance of an interviewee. Yes, our second double up. Person. Double up. Yep. 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 So, um, this was recorded in Edinburgh. Edinburgh. So I'm kind of going around to at least two of the supply centres on the classic board, London and Edinburgh, 
Seattle, if you kind of, including um, any American map. Any probably. American map's got to have a Seattle. <laughs> <laughs> um, well, look, I'll let you guys listen <clears> to <throat> it, and we'll um, have a chat at the end of it. Cool. It'll stop, and then we'll start. Cheers. Cheers. I'm Mambi. I'm Cap. And uh, this is the third and probably going to be the final interview uh, in my little tour around North America and Europe. Um, Captain Meem and I are meeting in the Conan Doyle. Yep, in Edinburgh. In Edinburgh. So um, it's a nice pub. It's a lot closer than all the other ones we tried as well. I know. It was just like crazy as we were walking up. Oh, I was walking up Princess Street and... Yeah. I think you had the same type of experience. It was just yep. every single pub was just choppers, completely choppers. Christmas markets. Yes, yes, the German Christmas markets in Edinburgh. So, um, what are you drinking? I'm drinking a Coke because I have an exam tomorrow. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I, I think you're very, very disciplined to do that. What, what's your exam on? Yeah, uh, it's, it's on Java. It's going to be fun. Java. Uh, oh my god. Yeah. And, and from that, I'm taking it not the um, not the island of Java in Indonesia. No, no. Uh, computer science. I can't even remember what I'm having. It was like it was like a Scottish name. It was like Liefel or something like that. It's a um, amber. It's an amber ale. An amber ale for amber. Right. Enjoy. Lovely and malty. Beautiful. I um I must admit I'm finding at the moment. Particularly in Europe, I've just stopped drinking red wine. Oh, sorry, not Europe. In UK, uh, mainly because whenever you go to a bar, anything that they have that's red wine related is just not not crap, but it's just stock standard, run of the mill things. And you can just go, that's just been bought from like this mass-produced winery and or vineyard and. Um, total opposite experience when I was just recently in Portugal because everything there is very small scale, very particular to probably a very small pot of land and it was no problems at all getting good decent red wine there but when in the UK I think I've got to go towards you know bitters and things like that, they're quite nice. Oh it's the British experience that it's also terrible stuff just in general. <laughs> it's not terrible so much, just mass produced. Mm. The problem I'm finding at the moment is like a lot of the, the bitters when you have like a slightly creamy head like this and when you've got a beard, it kind of goes into it, and you've got no idea actually it's there. So at some stage, if you just want to kind of just subtly just go like this, if I'm making a mess of myself and look a bit embarrassing, that would be cool. Yep. So, Cap, you're the you're the second person we've actually had on for a, a second interview. The, uh, the first. Uh, well, the other one was just the most recent recording, that was with Super Dipsy over at Played It. Yes. So uh, I interviewed him, what was that? Not very long ago, about five, six days ago? In, in London. London. Yeah, so he, he much the same way as yourself. He actually was generous enough to kind of catch a train down because he's somewhere up in the Cotswolds. Oh, right. Um, and I think he's on like a bit of a fast train there, so it wasn't too bad kind of getting in and, and whatever. And you came in from, from Glasgow-ish. Yep. My grandmother came from Glasgow. Oh, nice. Yep. <laughs> so I, uh, I, I'm not native to Glasgow. I'm just there for studying as you can probably tell from my accent um, yeah you don't have a Scottish accent yeah. I'm actually from Manchester which you can't really tell from my accent either but hey uh, it's just my parents deciding that southern accent sounds better and uh, trying to train me to 
Yeah, you actually kind of got you've got like a broad UK accent. It's kind of not really particular to any real part, like like a mid, uh, like a Midlands accent or a, you know a Southern accent or whatever. It's kind of in the middle. First person I met in Glasgow thought I came from Australia, so that was oh really? <laughs> I will claim yeah. That was an interesting experience. Hmm. Uh, so, um, Captain Mean, what 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 was the origin of the name? I actually don't remember. It was from, like, when I was a child, when I used to play games with my brother, we'd make up characters, and, yep. yeah, that captain was one of them. I just stuck with the name, I guess. Um, that was... Is it captain like a, like a military rank, or more like a, like a superhero captain? Uh, it was a military rank at the time, I think, because we used to have those little plastic army soldiers. Oh, yeah. I guess they're for sale everywhere, right? Yep. Um, so, yeah, one of them was called Captain Uh Although I think it kind of varied which one it was, depending on. Yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, and I just used it for one of the first things I signed up for, and then it kind of stuck. And it works kind of well for uh, diplomacy as well, because a lot of people use rank names. I mean, you're you're the ambassador, right? Yeah, <laughs> it's, yeah. Uh, it's not a military title, but it's still stuff like that. Sorts of sticks. That's because I was I was when I first joined up. I think the first place I, I played with that name was WebDiv. And I kind of didn't really understand the context of like your when you're choosing your handle, what to call. And I thought, oh well, this is all about diplomacy. So uh, I'll try for the ambassador, and I went, oh that worked. And it's just like you can't, once, you've, once you've done, you can't really change your name, can you? Yeah, you get known as one person if you uh, try to make a new account the model. I think some people, but if you're going across multiple sites, you can kind of maybe change it a little bit. But yeah, it's, um, yeah, you don't. You, don't want to create a brand new account on the same site. Uh, I know quite a few people who um, create an account on one place and then just exclusively play there, and then years later they'll find another place and create an account there. They tend to separate their handles so that people from the first site don't recognize them. Ah. Because obviously you have a slight advantage if people think you're a new player. <laughs> yeah. Because you can sometimes trick them into doing stuff that they shouldn't really do. One of the um, top played it plays is under a completely different handle on WebDiff. I think he's revealed it at this point. It's um, GSMX and uh, oh, what's his other name? Village Idiot. He oh, actually, right. He actually topped the tables on both uh, GR and it on played it ranking for a while without without most people knowing he was the same person. <laughs> pretty, we, might, we, we might just double check that one if it's not, we'll edit it out, but otherwise we'll leave it in. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you might have just right. outed him. <laughs> well, he I mean, probably needs to be outed by now if he hasn't already. <laughs> I think there's there's one player that we've interviewed who um, very very early on Care Bear, which I think we had to digitally change his his voice um, because of he has a very different persona in real life and likes to keep the two of them yeah. quite separate, which is cool. I can understand why. You've, you've kept Captain Mean on all of them, though, haven't you? Yep. I mean, I'm, I don't think I've ever gone by anything else. Um, unless Captain Meme's been taken, which was not on any diplomacy site. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah. Care Bear, I, I've met him in real life as well. He's he's happy to talk about his online account in person once he's oh, yeah. met you. He just doesn't want people online to find out who he is before they met him, I think. Um, okay. So, yeah. Uh, that was a, well, the World Diplomacy Championships last year. Oh, the one in Oxford. Yeah, I think that was 
I went to that one just after you interviewed me the first time. Yeah. So that's something uh, we could potentially talk about here. That's, oh, yeah, uh, cool. Well, we, we <laughs> talked about the uh, the WDC in Washington um, recently. Yeah, I missed that one, unfortunately. Uh, um, although I did an analysis video on the final. Yeah. Um, because, yeah. Uh, Where's that up at YouTube? Or? Yeah, that's on YouTube. You can probably find it just by searching Diplomacy World Championship. Um, well, I'm sure it gets flooded with thousands and thousands of videos. Because <laughs> we've got such a popular game. <laughs> well, there are some pretty talented video makers out oh, there. there. I think yeah. you've, you've interviewed Chris Martin. Chris Martin does some yeah, great videos. Yeah, he does videos. fantastic yeah. ones. Um, yeah. Uh, the interview, the, the analysis that I did was with one of my friends, um, Ezio, he goes by online. Mm -hmm. No, you probably not heard the name, but yeah. Sorry, what you say? Uh, Ezio. Yeah, yeah. He yeah. was in the boss game, I think, um, as yes. Arabia? Or I, 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 recall, yeah. I recall his name. I, I, yeah. Uh, he's a very, very good classic player. Um, and we made sure that we were going through it um, round by round so we didn't know what was going to happen in right. advance. Which was really hard. It was really hard to avoid spoilers on that because, like, the moment the world championship finished, obviously Facebook just the, all of the groups exploded with congratulations, this person. Yeah. So I knew who'd won it in advance. I just had to make sure I didn't know what country he was playing. Oh, we okay. just anonymized everything. Yep, yep. Uh, but yeah, um, I was really disappointed to miss out on the world championships this year in person but I'll be at the one next year um, in Marseille, in Marseille yeah. and then the year after that I don't know exactly where it is but uh, I've been told they're running a boss on the on the top board oh really? <laughs> seriously? So, so spectators and other players oh, can fantastic can so it'll be like a, it'll be a boss but it'll be like in which case it'll be people playing on the sorry there's two there's two levels of game there's the game itself and then there's the non-playing players who'll be purely on the boards. Yeah, and there'll be a lot of those because um, it's kind of different from how they've done it previously. They're not letting anyone who's not on the top board play on the final day, yeah. um, or at least not play a ranked game. Uh, so that means that basically most of the tournament will be watching the top board, so they might as well be bidding yeah, okay. on what's going to happen. Yeah. That'll be interesting, especially if they let you talk to other investors and do <laughs> trading blocks and whatnot. Well, there's um, no reason why you couldn't be able to do it, provided yeah. you, you probably kept to the same rules where, you know, you've got your time period and you need to kind of finalise orders. Yeah. Um, and then there's an adjudication period. My main... I don't know. How long... How, how, I mean, sorry. It's been so long, and I've talked about this before since I've actually last played a face-to-face -face game, and both Kainer and I have talked about doing one... I'll, I'll say next year, but by the time this comes out, it'll be this year, in 2019. How long does it normally take to adjudicate a seven-player game? Um, so, the... Like, sorry, adjudicate a, a phase. How, how long is a phase? Yeah, uh, it's 15 minutes on a running timer, so any time that it takes to adjudicate the phase gets taken out of the next phase. Oh, really? Um, so, wow. yeah, it's really hectic at the, the championship level. Like, in a casual game, I'd usually do 30 minutes per phase. Um... I mean, that's with friends who don't know how to play the game very well, but uh, yeah, 15 minutes is really tough. Um, so is that, in, is that the standard within a WDC, 15 yep. minutes? 15 minutes, every WDC does that. Um, and that's also uh, builds and retreats happen on my clock as well, so they get merged into the same 
15 minutes uh, as the previous phase. Um, so okay, so let's say, for example, we've run... Um, it's, we've just finished autumn, and it took, like, 15 minutes to do that. Yeah. And then it takes, I don't know, two, three minutes to adjudicate. Are people able yeah. to kind of start their negotiations whilst the adjudication phase no, is going? You're not allowed to negotiate until after retreating belts and... Um, yeah, so if so it takes them two, three minutes to adjudicate, and then you've got 30 seconds of retreats, because that doesn't take too long, hopefully, yep. and maybe a minute to get in builds, and then to do the builds might take a minute on the board. So a 15-minute phase is like 10 minutes of negotiation, yep. and then allowing yourself the time to write down your orders, which is yep. probably easy if you're starting off the game in spring 1901, and you've only got three units, but if you're getting pretty close to a, uh, a solo with 18 supply centers, writing down orders for 17 is must be... Well, I actually find it easier to uh, do it... it. It actually gets easier towards the end because there's less negotiation to do, right? Mm. Um, usually there's just like one or two people that you absolutely have to talk to. Or if you're getting close to a solo, usually everyone else is trying to stop you, so yeah. you're just on your own writing down orders. That's all you do. <laughs> I would have thought you'd probably, if you're trying well, to get solo, you're trying to pick people off and try not to get them and say, look, yeah. hey, I'm not really that close. And Yeah, you can, but that's probably what the, the, the highest level players do. But quite often, you end up against players who are good enough, or at least the players who are still around at the end game are good enough to notice, okay, this guy is just, yeah, he's going to win if we don't all stop him. Yeah. Um, solos in face-to-face are really rare because usually you have to have someone actually want you solo yeah. uh, who's not you like so, maybe like in a, in a tournament situation where you want to kind of let's say let's say hypothetically I don't know you, me and whoever is, is else is playing and I happen to know that other player that we're playing is really, 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 really good. And whenever we play, they always kick my butt. And I've actually know that the way the tournament runs, if I happen to throw the game effectively to you, it may knock him out of the next round where you and I happen to progress. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, it can be that. It's more often because like, um, someone gets stabbed right. by someone on the other side and they just go, okay, this person doesn't deserve any points from this. I'm going to make sure you win instead. Um, oh, it's a spite. Yeah. Spite okay. is it's like the number one reason people solo in the players. <laughs> I must admit, I've, I've um, fallen into that trap and been spiteful a number of times yeah. in the past. I think everyone does at some point. Um, yeah. Uh, but, like, the going back to the uh, 10 minutes thing, it's really hectic at the start. Usually you have people um, carrying... The, the orders around and filling them in while they're negotiating. Yep. Which means you generally have to be honest to one person because you'll be writing down your orders in front of them or while you're talking to them. Yeah. Um, and one other side effect of that is, and I, I noticed this I, uh, in Melbourne in 2016, I went to a tournament there. Oh, wow. Um, what were you doing in Australia ago. at the time? Uh, I was visiting on, on holiday. Um, mm. And yeah, uh, I know a guy called Tim Jones there. Yep. So heard of him? Yes. I've heard of him, but I haven't, haven't met him though. No. <laughs> yeah, and uh, he and Andrew Goff set up a game while I was there, which was. Um, but yeah, in one thing I found out about Australian players is they always look over your shoulder, like well, when, when it, you're writing orders. Yeah, any oh, any opportunities really? <laughs> they get. Yeah. Well, this, is, this is good intel for me when we go and play these guys. <laughs> 
always make sure you're writing down your orders in a place where people can't look over your shoulder. Um, right. Unless you want them to see what you're writing, because they will. Especially in Australia. Uh, I mean, people do that at the World Championships as well. Um, I, I remember talking to someone on Reddit about it, uh, and they seemed really incensed that it was like, you know, these guys must be breaking the rules or something by, by looking at your orders. There aren't orders sacred, it's like, as long as they're not in the box, they, people can do whatever they want with them. <laughs> so, yeah, you have to be ready for that. Uh, one, um, one thing that happened not at a championship, just in a casual game I was playing, uh, one of my friends left their phone in a room that I was negotiating in, on record, Oh shit! Really? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Once I finished negotiating, you know, yeah. stopped at recording, listened back, knew that I was going to stab one of their face, and wrote orders that counted it. That was uh, one of the but, best plays I've. But when you think about, it, I mean, the whole the whole pretext, obviously, with with diplomacy, is you know this whole you know if you're playing a classic board, you know the whole World War One type of scenario. And, Having you know espionage and and you know subterfuge and everything like that is, is part of the reality. And if that means kind of spying, whether it means looking over someone's shoulders or leaving your uh, an illicit recording device behind. Yep. Uh, yeah. So this is this is really good for me, Cap, because as I said, I haven't I haven't played face to face for so long, and when I did, it was only two or three times. So um, and that was like. 25 years ago so um, yeah so things have changed no doubt in that face to face world and it sounds like it's pretty pretty ruthless out there yeah especially at the world championships but you're are you going to be playing at Melbourne in one of Vegas or Melbourne well um, yeah so so Andrew when we had that interview was talking about maybe doing a um, like a Melbourne thing in uh, March or April in 2019, so um, I'm good for that. I've already spoken to Mrs. Ambie, she's fine if I go away to that. Uh, I think Kana may have spoken to Mrs. Kana, so um, that'll be good. The problem we've got in, in Brisbane, as an example, in Australia, is this there's no players, but mind you, that being said, we're not making a conscientious effort to go out to Reddit or you know, go to any other places to try to drum up support, but you kind of think with the bloody podcast and everything like that people would know that we've got two guys in Brisbane and I know, I know there's at least uh, Napoleon Napoleon Avos who's over in Webdip he's based in Brisbane um, there's three so there we go three so you play a game of 100 <laughs> <laughs> I play a game of 100 well yeah I don't, I, don't, I don't know if Kana wants to play another game of 100 but I kind of just oh no it wasn't 100 it was, was Tree of the Dun oh yeah it's been a while <laughs> since i played that one I think but yeah <laughs> it's much better if you can get a seven player game going. Yeah. <laughs> I know uh, there's a guy, um, Marvin, down in London who runs the London Diplomacy Club. He okay. swears by 100. He loves 100. Like, if he doesn't get seven players, he'll just run a game for three of 100 because he, he likes it so much. Um, so you get people playing variants. Oh, uh. You've talked about the Sai on your podcast before, yeah, right? Yeah. We played that in person at um, Midcon in Derby not too long ago. Midcon, is that for yeah. Midlands? So Midlands Con, yeah. Okay. Um, and that was really fun. Uh, it was. We had to play it with a bit of 
um, uh, changed the rules because usually you wouldn't know who controls the second country. Right. So if you're not familiar with Versailles, it's um, you control two different countries, and you're not so the other players don't know who controls the two countries, like who, who is linked to which country. Um, so, in our version, obviously, you can't do that in person very easily, no. um, because you can't negotiate as two different people, unless you have a very good... The, the only way I can imagine is you kind of do something, again, going to the spies analogy, you have like a little drop box somewhere, that, you know, some, you know that you kind of go over here and there's these secret messages from, apparently, from, you know, Czechoslovakia, and you don't actually know if it's Czechoslovakia has left the message there, or, or Portugal. It'd be a pretty interesting idea. Maybe, um something like running a, a messaging service through your phone or something for your second country because otherwise yeah. they could probably work it out from your Android. Oh yeah, I, I think I think electronically would make a lot more sense mm. to be able to manage that. Yeah, that's an idea. Maybe for next time. <laughs> well, you're so, a Java programmer. You can make these things. <laughs> yeah. It's easy. Well, not a Java programmer until I pass the exam, I guess. No, all right. <laughs> so, but, yeah. Uh... But yeah, that game went um, really well. Is I brought one of my friends along who barely played any diplomacy. He really enjoyed it, um, and I managed to get my second country killed off in the first year, which was is that intentional not or not? <laughs> not intentional. At I thought all. I thought maybe that was some type of part of a larger strategy. To uh, I spent the entire game trying to revive it again because you can get your country back if you take control of it uh, of the center. Um, or at least that was the version we were playing. Um, but I can never get hold of it again. I think I was playing... It was either... Hmm, Turkey-Romania, something like that. So it was two really close countries. So the other players sort of identified that as a threat and killed off Romania immediately. Uh, and then just held it for the entire game. Uh, that was painful. But I did pretty well um, just with houses. Yep. So I must admit, um, Versailles really, really intrigues me. And when I was talking to Dipsy, he managed to kind of convince me to broaden my diplomacy um, participation beyond just VDIP and occasionally WebDIP and to actually start getting more into the plate. Sorry, don't know if I've already finished off my pint or not, but I don't know if I said that correctly. Instead of always being over in VDIP and occasionally in WebDIP, to also maybe go into play dip. So I uh, I now have a membership, and as a result of as a result of that, I was um, a couple of days ago. I think I was in. I woke up and Mrs. Ambie was still asleep, and I went onto the play dip site and I was trying to find a game to join a Versailles game because I really want to play Versailles, but um, none of the faces were right. I thought that's oh, okay. I'll start a game. You know what I mean? And then as soon as I created the game, I realised. As much as you want to play this, you are kind of travelling and the only way you're playing diplomacy at the moment is on a phone. And I'm usually shit in writing orders on a phone. I mean, you can't really have the long conversations that you probably need to be able to have. And when you're, particularly when you're playing Versailles, where you're having to also do whatever you're doing for your second country. You know what I mean? Yep. So um, as soon as I created the game, I then end up kind of leaving the game and it just shut, shut down. So I'll have to hold off on doing that. But I must admit, that's the one game I'm just really looking forward to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it's a very good game. I don't have a played it membership, so I've never played the uh, 
the online version of the site, but I can imagine it being really interesting. They have, um, do they have any diplomacy point variants on there, or is that just in the forum? Because I remember you talking about uh, Ambition what? and Empire, was it? Yeah, uh, yeah. Um, how does that work? Is that the one where you kind of... Uh, you you, so, you say the points mean where you allocate points towards other players, is that right? Or? Yeah, not towards other players, towards neutral units. Neutral units, to, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. make them do something that you want them to do. Um, does it happen in Ambition and Empires, does it? Uh, was it, it Age of Empires? It might, it might not be Ambition and Empires. It was in one of the other games for the uh, tournament through time. Which oh, that was, that was Ambition. <laughs> so, so that's another thing. So, so we are if we are both in the same team. Although I've been an incredibly useless team member, both in my gameplay and actually keeping in touch with the team. Um, but yeah, that was a uh, forum-based game, really, wasn't it? Yeah. So um, we have yourself, myself, and Big Joe. Big Joe. That's right. Yes. Sorry, Big Joe. He was a. Um a played it member who was looking for a team to join. Yes, and since we couldn't get Kane, Kane is to, uh, was bloody useless again as usual. I mean, to be honest, he's been carrying us through it. Um, he's been playing great. Mm. He took over my pretty much effectively my position when I was camping and was having shitty internet yeah. connectivity. Um, I mean, you you sort of lived up to your reputation as a Baratheon because that's what we're <laughs> talking about here. Right? You, uh, uh, our team name in this tournament is Baratheon because uh, you got named as was it which, which Baratheon? Oh was it? yes, um, oh the one, the gay one, uh, Renly. Renly, yeah, yeah, Renly Baratheon. And what was it? The so, yeah, ambitious. Ambitious at the start, but couldn't be bothered ruling or something like that, or just things like that. Yes. Um, so you you started off the game and you did pretty well to start, I think. Yeah. And then you just disappeared. Yeah, that's right. So we had Big Joe take over that one. Um, and yeah, I'm currently playing in the last uh, the last game in that time. Which is Disillusion. Yep. Which ends next week. That should oh. be interesting. Is it a hard is it a hard dead deadline for it to close or? Uh, well. Yeah, so the game ends in... Oh, that's right, um, it's, it's, it finishes in a set year, doesn't it? Yeah, it finishes in the year 2000, which uh, is... I think it started in 1991? Two, two? Yeah, something like that. Something like that, yeah. Um, so we got eight years of gameplay, um, which is like really short, considering most of the teams need a solo to win. Uh, oh, to win the tournament, yes. Yeah, it's come down completely to the wire now, Um now we're playing as Poland. We're playing Poland. Yeah, yeah I got that right. Nice. There we go. So you have paid enough attention. attention. Yeah, slowly. Um, and I'm currently on 19 victory points out of 25 needed, uh, with one year left in the game. Um, and Kazakhstan is. Do you want to bring up the map so we can talk yeah, about it? That, that um, Kazakhstan is on 20. Uh, he's on 20. Yeah. Oh, so it's us. Who's okay? And there's been a lot of consideration about this broader tournament view, isn't there? Like, how are, how's everyone going? Hey, we're doing pretty good. Yep. Nice work, Cap. Um, We've got the poles all the way over into Georgia in the uh, the Caucasus. And yep. Um, Ukraine's been completely wiped out here. <coughs> we started with um, four players in Europe. There's uh, Poland... Ukraine over here, and then Romania and Yugoslavia. Yep. Yugoslavia has been sort of relegated to... Really, that southern Balkans yeah. area of um, Bulgaria, Albania, and Kosovo. 
type of space. Yep, Romania still owns his homes. And, oh, but actually, um, Yugoslavia is only one SC, isn't it? Or yeah, one he's unit? Got, yeah, he's got two SCs, but you have... Um, yeah, you need to have... You divide your SCs by two. Yeah, that's right. Unless, unless, of course, yeah. you've got a bit of oil, and that helps as well. Uh, oil is for diplomacy points. But yeah. yeah. Oh, you're right, yeah. That's, um, and shows you how long I've been since I played this one. Yeah, Romania is also stuck on the southern side of the continent, although he's got a slightly better position. Um, so, to give you some context, this particular interview definitely won't be going live until way after this game's over. So we can actually good. talk about tactics and your thoughts for how to participate okay. in the final year, because... Um, I don't get back to Australia until like the 1st of January and it's probably the third interview to go out so you probably won't go live until late January, maybe even February. Yeah, alright. So we can talk about this as much as I want then. Yeah, 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 um, go to town. So talk, we talk about how people stab you, how you stab them, what your plans are to stab them, how you're going to solo the game. Um, I mean, one of the best things about... Uh, I really like this variant. Um, this is my first time playing Dissolution. So Dissolution is the variant about... The, the dissolution. It's uh, set right at the end of the Cold War. Yep. Um, with Russia, NATO, uh, America, Israel, and India as, as neutral powers um, that you can influence. Um, so they can kind of help you with things like supporting, like, a, and you've got three units. There's not just the um, the armies and the navies, but there's also air wings that can kind of. They're, they're more for logistics in being able to do like big convoys really, aren't they? Yeah. So with a wing unit, um, you can... A wing unit can't do very much by itself. It can attack the provinces around it, but that only counts for bouncing other people out. Um, they can't actually move into them. Right. Sorry, I think my phone's in power saving mode. That's all right. So it keeps switching itself off. <laughs> so... Yeah, uh, so with wings, um, their main use is convoying armies into... you got one of those crazy Samsung phones, so I just don't understand that. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's battery's not great though, so that's why. Yep. Uh, but, yeah, so... With a wing, you can chain a convoy through two wings to get from one side of the map to the other if you want. Uh, yep. From one wing to wherever the other wing is. Yep. Um, so that's how I got my Ulysses of Georgia here. It mm -hmm. went via my wing in Prague. Uh, and you're using the um, the wing unit there in what the Russian one or the Cyrillic one in uh, Ankara? Oh, sorry, in um, sorry, I, in, in Cyrillic. I yeah, think it was. I, in I went through Krah. I don't know what it stands for, um, but yeah. Uh, this front is really where I'm focusing my effort right now because. At the end of the day, this is coming down to a competition between me and Kazakhstan. Um, so I can't afford to let him get any more over here. And you'll see he also winged the units into Europe, which... That's Facebook. Um, which is in Yugoslavia. Oh! Uh, <laughs> pod, whatever pod is. Yeah. It winged into SVN. Uh, Slovenia. Oh, Slovenia, yep. yep. Uh, I forced it out, it went to Croatia, I forced it out there, it went to Pod. <laughs> And we're about to force it out and send it to Albania and then hopefully destroys in the uh, autumn. Well, that'll probably cause um, Yugoslavia to collapse, won't it? Yep. Uh, the idea here is to kill Yugoslavia at the, in the last year. Which right. is a bit of a shame because he's been putting up quite a fight. Like, he definitely deserves to survive. <laughs> Considering um, 
he's been attacked by Romania and me yep. for the last four years. Oh, really? <laughs> Maybe three years. Why he's ended up here. Um, so, how much? How many more turns are left? So, we've got one more year's worth of gameplay. Yeah, so, we've, so we've got, got a spring and an autumn. Spring in the autumn phase. Um, Romania doesn't actually care about the results as long as nobody wins. Uh, okay. Because he's got second place in the tournament unless someone solos this game. Um, Saudi Arabia down here has uh, first place in the tournament unless someone solos. Oh, right. Uh, so how are we positioned? We've got third place if we beat Kazakhstan in supply centers and first place if we win. Uh, and fourth place if we don't beat Kazakhstan in supply centers. So seeing you need 25 to win yep. and we're only on 20. We're on 19. 19. Yeah. Yeah. Chances of solo with only one year's worth of gameplay short of a total... I, NMRs all round. <laughs> I'm pretty sure I can get 23. It's just a case of where the last two come from. Right. Um, I'm going to stay near my wing and see if I can just like backdoor somewhere in Ethiopia. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because there's a wing, there's a... Yeah, down in Khartoum. down here. Um, oh, Djibouti. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If he leaves uh, whatever this center is, DID. Djibouti. Oh, Djibouti, yeah. Um, well, you can kind of casually go into Yemen, couldn't you? Yeah, uh, no, I can't actually because of the way favor works. So, all oh, right, talk about favor then. Yeah, so this is a NATO wing. In this variant, you have embassies yep. that are on a separate board that determines how well you're favored by the uh, nuclear powers. That's right. Yes. Yeah. Um, this is all coming back to me now. And you can only attack someone if you have more. Uh, you can only use a neutral unit to attack someone if you have more favor than them. Yes. And Saudi Arabia is right at the top of that board at the moment. Of the yeah. NATO favors. Okay. But I am ahead of Ethiopia, so if I manage to wing into Djibouti, uh, that's a two victory point center, so that would win me it. But that depends on him not defending it, which is a bit unusual. Yeah. Um, there might be an opportunity for me somewhere else, but I'm really not sure. God, you still got a neutral here with Syria. Yep. My God. That's, um, that's actually really surprising because I know people want to wing in here. There's two different ways to wing in. Yeah, both through NATO and the, and the Israelis, yeah. Because it, yeah. it wouldn't be too difficult to kind of get into Lebanon and then use another one then to kind of go into Syria. Yeah, it's just no one's had the... Uh, the spare units to do it, yes, I guess. And also, um, Saudi Arabia has been really viciously defending these two in terms of uh, diplomacy points. So he's been dumping diplomacy points. Oh, into both Israel and uh, NATO to make sure that he can't be kind of backdoor. Yeah. Gotcha. Um, so no one's been able to wing in on these. Uh, and also, uh, Saudi Arabia is very closely aligned to Ethiopia, so they sort of have 10 diplomacy points together, yeah. which is. A lot more than I do. I have four. No, okay. Um, yeah. Uh, it's interesting looking at this particular map in this very late phase from memory when I last played. Um, who did I play as last time? I played as Egypt. Egypt? Yes, Egypt it was. And I got absolutely destroyed by Ethiopia. So Ethiopia is still pretty strong here. Yeah, that's happened here as well. Um, so, and, and last time around in the game I was playing in, Pakistan was quite strong. 
uh, and there was a very strong um, uh, alliance between Yugoslavia and Poland. So it's good to see that between that map and the one that I played in, the only real similarities is Poland's strong in this one and Ethiopia. Yeah. And apart from that, there's quite a lot of variety, which says that that tends to be a more balanced board, that you can get quite different outcomes. Yeah, there has been... Um a bit of a, an outside influence in this one in that it's part of the tournament yeah uh, so so people are thinking about the broader plan rather than yeah. just the individual game especially Pakistan over here um, yep. he came into this round with his only objective being kill Saudi Arabia because he, he he's not doing a very good job well I mean he's got there well he's not but yeah I know but he's got far less SCs than Saudi uh, yes, that's true. That's because he threw all of them to Kazakhstan to try and make Kazakhstan win the game. Ah, uh, okay. Um, because if Kazakhstan wins, then Saudi Arabia doesn't. Uh, so <laughs> you've got this sort of like. Uh, but, but sorry, in other words, he's prepared to let someone else win instead of someone else winning. Yes, exactly. <laughs> this is it comes back to spite being the main reason people win uh, these games. Okay. I've gotten to this position here through fighting and sort of negotiating and all that, and Kazakhstan, I'm really annoyed because Kazakhstan has one more sense than me purely because Pakistan just threw everything. <laughs> uh, I'm really wishing... Oh, and there I'm getting a, a message. Oh, yeah. message coming through game. from a player at the moment. That's from Saudi Arabia. Yep. Yeah. Um, he's looking at the orders I've suggested. Um, we have a weird sort of half-alliance at the moment where he he wants to prop me up to make sure Kazakhstan doesn't win, but at the same time he wants to not let me get to, to the point where I can win. So... Well, he could start uh, by kind of, you know, um, sorry, he's Saudi, isn't he? Yeah, he's well, he, Saudi. he can kind of give you bloody Syria for starters. Oh, no, no, but... Yeah, he doesn't want to allow that. He's, like, Romania's sort of doing the same thing. He's making sure that I don't lose uh, KHK over here. Yeah. Um, against this unit, because Kazaria, yeah, Kazaria, why am I saying Kazaria? That's no world 901. <laughs> <laughs> Kazaria, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Kazakhstan um, is top in Russian favour, so he he can pretty easily get these units to support him in. Yeah. Um, so we're trying to DP, uh, DP block, which is just dump a bunch of DP on a unit telling it to hold yep. um, on one of these, and then have him support hold me to make sure the other one doesn't kill me. Okay. Yeah. Um, and yeah, one other thing about him being top in Russian favor is this wing here is really strong. Oh yeah, uh, in, in Kyrgyzstan or something. Kyrgyzstan, yeah, that sounds about right. It has three centers around it: Tajikistan, Tush. 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 And ALM. Yeah. And only one of them is being defended. They're all controlled by. Kazakhstan, but because he's top in Russian favor, no one else can use this wing against him. He's smart. That's, yeah. that's a really clever game play. Um, so he can convoy out using that, but yep. no one else can convoy, convoy in. in. Um, it's just been that way the entire game. Uh, <laughs> one of the things I found really interesting with um, with Dipsy, because Dipsy is, uh, which I didn't really know about, um, has a bit of a programming background and does all sorts of wonderful things over and played it. He reckons. He can code this up to make disillusion work. 
within an actual online game. Not 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 just forum, but and I kind of thought, I don't know. And I said to him, I don't know how you're going to do that. But he said, No, no, no. I should be able to. That that would probably convince me to get a PlayDip uh, membership. So Dipsy, if you're listening to this. <laughs> You can get $25 by coding this ferry. <laughs> Go ahead and do it quickly. Uh, yeah. Um, like, this variant has... It's definitely in my top five now. I've really enjoyed this game. Um, although I think it needs a bit of balance because the Pakistan-Kazakhstan uh, alliance is yep. really strong. Um, as long as they can retain control of this wing, there's basically no way to get behind them here. Yeah. Um, and they can just sweep that way, which is what they've done. Uh, It'd be interesting to see how this variant would work if you had China in, in the game as well. Um, oh, yeah, around the back here. Because that could be... whether Because, like as I said, in this particular game, you've got Kazakhstan very strong. And actually, yeah. my last game, it was medium strength. It wasn't too... The one I was in, it wasn't too bad. It was Pakistan. Actually, Pakistan was strong because it had a lot of supply centers in um, Saudi Arabia. So, having a neutral India here... Mm. And I understand, obviously, that if you think about all the players within this game, actually, it's all over the shop. Because you do have these former Eastern Bloc countries with, you know, Romania, Yugoslavia and Poland. And... Um, Obviously, Kazakhstan and Ukraine as former USSR countries. But then you do have, you know, um, Egypt and Kazari, sorry, Egypt and Ethiopia and Saudi Arabia in the game, which are obviously not part of that area. So why can't you maybe have a China in the mix? Or do you make India a player and take China being the neutral or something like that? Just to kind of provide a bit of a an option here where you can kind of try to get in the back. But I guess you'd need, need something over here where you've got yeah, a strong NATO. I don't think they make India a player ever because the um, the sort of rationale behind having certain countries be uh, these neutrals is possession of nuclear units or nuclear weapons. Oh, yeah. Um, that's why Israel is... Well, you can have China as a neutral. Yeah, so China could work as a neutral. Because it's a player, nuclear player. Did they have nuclear weapons oh, yeah, yeah, at yeah. this point? Absolutely. Oh, yep. okay. mm. I'm not as uh, well versed in history, I think. But no, no, no. Chinese yeah. next writers. So at the moment they've got India, um, Israel, NATO, the US Navy, and uh, Russia. Yep. Uh, and then all of the smaller player nations are ones that didn't have nuclear weapons. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I'm going to get a beer. You right for Coke? Yeah, I'm still set. We might pause and have a quick look at the menu too. I don't know if you're hungry, but I'm getting a little bit peckish. We're back in a sec, guys. And we're back. Hey. It's actually called a Leofail. I don't know what Leofail means in Scots. I have no idea. uh, I know nothing about Scotland. So we probably, as you said, we probably talked a little bit um, about that one for a while and we can kind of move on to other type of things now. So you, you talked a little bit before around, you know, in the mid-con and you played in that space and you played in WDC and, and Oxford. Um, we're finding at the moment, we're probably getting a few more people listening to the podcast who are more face-to-face people uh, whilst we've previously been just straight online. 
and I always like interested in, in people who play face to face and play online and how the game differs. And you talked a little bit about that before with just the um, the espionage that's involved in and how people place in orders. How else do you kind of see things being different between the the face to face versus the online games? Yeah, I mean, they're incredibly different games <laughs> because of the. Uh it's mainly because of the time limit. Like in online, you have the full day, or however long you've set the base to. It's usually twenty-four hours to look at the board to decide on your orders to talk to people slowly over the course of the day, and basically do everything that in a in a face-to-face game you're doing in ten minutes. In. Yep. Um, and yeah, that, that's that's a huge difference. Um, it's a lot more tense. Like the the very or intense. The very first game that I played was face to face, and that was a 30 minute phase, but that was kind of what got me hooked onto diplomacy in the first place. Yep. Because it was just go all the way. I was always talking to people and doing stuff. Um, and then when I got home, I like talked to my brother for like two, three hours about what would have happened if the game continued, because he was also in the game. And that's something I hadn't really done before. There was no board game that sucked me in yep. like that. And then I just spent ages looking for ways to play or, or looking for ways to get people together. And no one, like, it, it's really hard to get seven people together for a diplomacy oh, yeah. game. So eventually I looked online and did it there. And online, it kind of feels like a compromise. Yes. Yeah. It's a great game still, and arguably the game was designed for online play, even though it was designed way back when, because that was something interesting I found when I was researching the, uh, you know, the original maps that were oh, yeah, yeah. up for auction a long time ago? I was researching the, the, um, State. the very early version of Diplomacy, which was real politic. Mm-hmm. In that version, everything was done by writing down. You weren't allowed to talk to the other players. Oh, really? Um, so in that so sense, effectively gunboat. In that sense, uh, it's not gunboat because you have to write down your negotiations as well. So it was essentially oh. play by mail. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep. So it was designed to be played in the way that online is played now. Yeah, uh, just faster. Yeah, and then sort of adapted later, probably because he realised that that wasn't hugely attractive to most people. Yeah, how do you um, find seven people in various locations to send letters via the mail to? Yeah, yeah. I mean, also, it was marketed as a board game, so you'd want all those people to be in one place and playing for the most part, right? Yep. It was still that sort of thing. So the original orders had people sort of sitting in silence, writing things down, handing them to other people, yep. which doesn't really sound as appealing as uh, as actually talking to them. Um, but yeah, so even though that's the way that diplomacy was originally created to be played, I think it's not as good a game in that sense. It's not as good a game online. Uh, it doesn't give you the same rush, and it's not the same sort of. You have to think fast, and you're always doing something. That's another way that Diplomacy really differs from other board games, in that if you're playing, say, Formula D or Sheriff of Nottingham or whatever other board game you choose, uh, you have to wait for your turn. (laughs) Yeah, okay. (laughs) That's a big part of board games. You usually just 
have spend a while looking at the board and thinking or like, waiting for someone else to do their move. Um, and in diplomacy, you never have a break. It's no. just go, 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 go. And that's um, that's the biggest aspect of the face-to-face game that you lose when you do it online. And if you only ever played online, I'd really recommend you try a, a real game. <laughs> I say a real game. Online is a real game, but uh, I'd really recommend that you play it, a face-to-face game and see how how it compares, because it's an experience that you can't describe very easily. So, <laughs> what's, your, what's your advice to players who don't feel that they know who to play with online? Sorry, no, sorry face-to-face at the moment. Because they don't know about yeah. local so, area. Look for clubs near you. Obviously, that's not always going to work. Um, most most diplomacy players who play regularly travel a lot. So people like Andrew Goff, um, he travels all over the world pretty regularly to play diplomacy. Um, that's probably how he got so good. Yeah. Um, and if you're in, say, Australia, the only really active community is in Melbourne, so you have to fly for a long time to get there. Um, oh, it's only a uh, yeah. two and a half hour flight. I mean, the alternative yeah. is uh, look for other people online who, who are in your area, like you were trying to do. Yeah. It's not always going to work, but you might find someone. Um, if you're in a European country, don't be afraid to travel for an hour or an hour and a half, because that's the biggest thing that I've found people in the Netherlands say saying that uh, Utrecht to Groningen is too far to go to play a tournament. That's like an hour and a half on the train, um, which is no distance at all. Uh, and if you're in Europe in particular, take advantage of the fact that you can just cross borders, yeah. go to another country to play a game. If you're in Germany, look for Dutch diplomacy tournaments because there are a fair amount of players there. Um, same if you're in Belgium, look for the Dutch uh, tournaments. If you're in the UK, there's a fantastic diplomacy club in London. There's also Midcon, which is in Derby. Um, I think there's a big Reddit thread on r slash diplomacy that contains all the North American tournaments. Right. So yeah, uh, don't be afraid to look for tournament play because that's another thing people have said. Um, you know, thank you, Tom. I don't think I'm good enough to play in a tournament yet, or I, I'm kind of new to face to face. Just go anyway. Lots of people are new, or lots of people are, uh, they, they don't expect you to be the best of the best when you, when they say tournament. Tournament, in diplomacy sense, just means a place where people play diplomacy. <laughs> yeah. And I think, I mean, Chris Martin, I think, touched on this during our, our interview with him, where I think there's a, a misconception that a tournament is, is literally the place that the best of the best come together, like Top Gun or something like that. And that may be the case on maybe the top board, but for all the other games, it's very much it was like, well, just even if you've been particularly been playing in an online environment, give it a go and just get some experience and see what you think and learn from it and make connections and see what happens from there. Yeah, that's definitely um, the World Diplomacy Championships, or what I call the World Diplomacy Championships, is actually called World Dipcon, I think. Yeah. Um, and 
it's partially players like me who are to blame for putting people off by calling it the World Championships because really you can go whatever skill level you are. Yeah. Um, the way the tournament works is that the the best players will get separated out into another group at some point, um, just through their their scores. So you can just go and, and play <laughs> at that kind of. Uh, that kind of tournament regardless of how much experience you've got although I would recommend knowing how to play the game in advance that's uh, that's pretty important um, one nice thing I think Chris Martin probably mentioned this as well uh, recently is that the last two World Dipcons have had a huge amount of online players yep. uh, and hopefully that'll continue we'll <laughs> see a lot more um, because it's definitely great having the online community show up and stuff like that. Um, and they can do very well. The uh, In the World Dipcon I went to, so 2017, um, one of my friends who goes by the name Durga now online, or Demon Overlord at the time, came third. Yeah, I've never heard um, the, the Durga thing, but no, I've heard yeah. of Demon, Demon Overlord, yep. Yeah, she came third in the entire tournament, which was really impressive considering that was her first tournament. Like on, not online. That was her first face-to-face -face game I wow. think, ever. Which, uh, yeah, online players can do very well, although don't expect to, to come third at your first tournament. Obviously. Uh, but no, but that's the thing. I mean, I think um, Chris even predicted that you know he kind of expected that there'd be at least one you know, player that no one's ever heard of, probably from the face-to-face -face environment, sorry, the online environment, who would be on the top board, and sure enough, that's what happened, you know, this time around as well. Yeah. Oh, this time it was uh, bulky, right? The, um, was, I think he was by El Conquistador on, um, on Playdip. Yep. He's one of their top players, uh, and yeah, he, again, this was, I think this was his first tournament? Um, it was certainly he was certainly new to new enough that no one knew him. Yeah, and yeah, made it to the top board. Didn't do amazingly on the top board, but that was because he got placed next to Andrew Goff and Doug Moore. <laughs> like Andrew Goff is one of only two people who've world who won the world championship three times now, and Doug Moore has won it twice, I think. Um, so yeah, that's just a brutal position to be. But uh, yeah, he he did hugely well to get to, to the top four. Mm. But yeah, you don't need to expect to, to do amazingly well to go to a World Dipcon. Yeah, you just yeah. need to want to have fun and play diplomacy. And uh, the, the sense of community at those events is fantastic as well. They make you sit out one round usually of the four Chris, that Chris was saying that, I think that made a lot of sense about that whole idea of not constantly playing, you know what I mean, just having a bit of headspace and even whether you use that to go out and see the sights or you use that to kind of just see how other people are playing the board, I think that's really, really important. Yeah. Um, I can't remember what I used my free time in uh, in Oxford to do. I think I actually just used it to watch more diplomacy because I, <laughs> I was just excited to be at World Dimcom. Yeah, but uh, you can you can use it to see the city. That's um, and I mean Marseille is a really nice city, so if you come next year, be sure to have a look around there. It's funny. I mean, I've always said, and um, when I was talking to, the, I, and I, you know, I, I, I um, 
in Seattle when I was over there, I talked to the guys from Diplomacy Cast. So they're more a face-to-face type of playing community. And they actually asked me, so what do you like about online, particularly the variant space? So I talked about that. And the funny thing is, because I play variants all the time, nowadays because I play so many different variants, if I kind of went off and played a face-to-face game, that's like a, a variant of the game yep. <laughs> to me. Because I don't sure. play it very often, you know what I mean? And I like having that something fresh and something different all the time. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so talking variants, in our last interview, actually before you mentioned that, that disillusion now in your top five of your favourite variants. Yeah. In the last interview you talked about your favourites at the time was one versus one and chaos. Has that changed in that about 12 plus months since we last talked? Uh, my top two are still probably those two. Um, France versus Austria is a fantastic variant. <laughs> and um, I think you know that obviously you just play this as gun bike, no point talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you can talk to your opponent. You can, you can kind of gloat and trash talk to me. Yeah, good point. <laughs> uh, but um, the, you know, when did we do the last interview? Like, it I was about August or September last year. I think since then. I think since then, Play Diplomacy implemented uh, France versus Austria as well. Yep. And they actually do it slightly better than Web Diplomacy because they have a rule where if you get to 1912 and no one's won, France wins. Um, oh, really? Yeah, which is really needed because France is sort of a defensive power in that. Ah, oh, right. So, on web diplomacy, you end up with stalemate lines at seventeen seventeen, which is really a, a great achievement for France. That should be counted as a win for France, but it just counts as a draw instead. Um, so, yeah, play diplomacy do do it slightly better than web diplomacy in that respect. Um, it's yeah, it's just a great variant. And is that just because the way the units are organised, it's easier for France to hold a defensive position against a Austrian attack versus a French attack on Austria? Yeah, so it kind of depends how the early game um, works out because there are some movesets that get France behind Austrian lines and then France also plays for 18. But usually France is playing for um, the... So do you know where the major stalemate line is? On a diplomacy board? Well, yeah, I'm kind of guessing for that one, it's probably running around where your Germany type of, cutting through to Italy type of space and then going up through, actually, probably going up from St. P down that way, is it? Yeah. Or? So if you put a ruler from the top corner of the border where St. Petersburg is yeah. down to the bottom of the uh, Mediterranean or North Africa, yeah. that's sort of a major sailmate line. Um, and France's usual objective is to hold that line plus Tunis to get. 18. Um, Austria's objective is to hold uh, the 16 that aren't over that line, or Tunis, plus two of uh, St. Petersburg, Munich, Berlin, or Tunis. Yeah, so I was going to say, who, where does Munich normally go in that line? Yeah, Munich is on the French side, but Austria can take it. Um, and Austria actually has the advantage early in places like Munich and it can get St. Petersburg first, but it can't hold it. That's yeah. something that's pretty uh, important as well. Um, so, 
with that in that respect Austria is sort of the power where you want to be attacking and you want to be taking you want to be taking the win before France can stabilise and France is the power where you want to stabilise before Austria can win yep so yeah that's um and played its way of implementing it where France wins if the game goes on long enough really reflects that well um so I'm, I'm a big fan of that. Uh, and they've also held their own um, France versus Austria tournament that concluded pretty recently with a guy called M.H. Smith Zero winning it. Um, he's an absolute god at the very least. I don't know if he dropped a single game during the tournament. I don't think he did. So I'm pretty excited to see him hopefully compete more against the webbed crowd as well. Wow. Um, yeah, and the other game you said at the time that you really liked was Chaos. So, but you're only in one game at the moment. Is that just because of university studies? And yeah, stuff? pretty much. Um, yeah. That's the other thing about online play is it sort of saps your life away <laughs> it can. if you're playing too many games. Yeah, so I've restricted that more recently. Um, I mean, you you know all about that because you sort of avoid. Well, at the moment I'm being very very lot. good at money in two games. So yeah. <laughs> yep. Uh, and one of them's like a five-day phase. So. But yeah, like two years ago, I would have been in maybe. I think there was a point at which I was in thirteen games at once, which was just madness. <laughs> I think I think around two years ago, I was probably in about eight or nine games, and I thought that's just crazy. Yeah, it's not. You can't keep that up. Well, you can, but you have to sort of ditch your life. So top five, we've covered one, one versus yeah. one, we've covered chaos, we've covered disillusion at number five. Is that number uh, five? Disillusion is number three, number three, I think. Now, it's either three or four. Like, number four would be, or number the other one of the three or four would be No World 901. Right. It's still one of my favourite variants. Um, and then number five, uh, would it be Haven? It's probably Haven. Really? I mean... You're not into divided states? I only played one game of Divided States. I think Divided States is really great um, for Americans because you don't see America often enough in variants. Um, yeah. It's not really the right shape to be a good variant because you don't have enough seas in the right places. But uh, whoever created the Divided States, who, do you know his name? Or... Oh, Technostar. Technostar, yes. yes Technostar. <laughs> Technostar did an absolutely fantastic job of making that variant work. Um, sea lanes, using sea lanes was genius on that sort of map. I think it could use a bit of balancing with uh, Alaska and Hawaii in particular. Um, but generally speaking, it's really good variant. It's just... It takes a bit too long to start. It takes a bit too much commitment because... Or at least this is for me at yeah. the moment. Because you're having to negotiate with a lot of powers. It's got 50 powers in the game. But you don't negotiate with 50 you powers. You don't negotiate with 50. I mean, there are some people who do. They are very crazy people, but they do. Um, but you have at least... Usually about six people directly around you, right? Right, yep. And then you want to be negotiating with the people around them as well. So at least that double ring is maybe 20. 
maybe a bit less than 20. 15 people at the very least. Yep. Um, that does take time. And that's negotiating in depth if you want to do well. Uh, in a normal variant, even in something like No World 901, you will only be negotiating with half the board most of the time. So that's seven people maybe. Um, yeah, but I'm not very good at Nine World 901. And in fact, I'm atrocious at it. Were you in the tournament? Um, no, I wasn't. I was running it. Or I was helping get people nations that they weren't, that they hadn't had before. Um, uh, how have you been doing in, in uh, Americas, in divided states? Uh, divided states, not too bad. So um, this is an anonymous gunboat game. Okay, so we can't talk. So we can't talk about it. Anymore. But it's it's reasonably. We're probably more in the mid game now. So we're kind of we're we're down to probably only about. 15 mid-sized countries on this country here nice um, so I'm doing okay this is the one that kind of kind of got knocked out in within about two years straight who's <laughs> on the other side of the board he says yeah so, so gunboat you can kind of expect that right yeah, yeah. And, and being gunboat it does kind of help with the um, you don't have to worry about the time requirements for com- you know, conversing with people yeah um, um, but it's been an interesting game. Um, I've lost many different allies along the way, and had many different threats along the way. It's it's a it's a good challenge, and I actually thought if you asked me how I was going in this game, probably even a week ago, I'd say not looking good because I've had I've been in a, a, a fisty cuffs with this player over here for a, a good month six weeks without any resolution you know we don't seem to be able to kind of making much gains on either of us this player down here everything seems to be going pretty well but I think he could just easily stab me but I doubt he would because he's too busy now in other fights elsewhere this player here I was in a fight with earlier on but um, he's now been shafted by this player and that player and by the time this goes to air I'm not quite sure but I may end up kind of um, stabbing him and going down this way if it becomes clear that you know it depends on how things go my one advantage at the moment is that this particular player over here who was kicking my butt and doing a very good job of it has NMR'd recently helping that though was and this touches on what you were talking about before around that whole Austria versus no sorry Austria versus France game is around the um, getting behind lines. Yeah. So one thing I found with this map is that it's so critical to do well to try to actually get behind people's lines. And once you get behind people's because it's really hard actually to defend those lines, there's so many uh, connections between any territory and other territories. Yeah. So once you start getting into lines, you can start then creating problems. And then if they NMR as well, that makes it even easier. Yeah. Um, so to that end, you know, for example, this particular player is quite heavy in this location. So my current plan is to try to head down this way into undefended supply centres. And once I, go, once I can start getting into there, just enveloping around that way, then they're going to have to start disbanding units, which is just a bit of a vicious cycle. I don't know how... Specific, I can be with this, but uh, this I can be quite specific because this won't come out till February. Right. Just, this don't, just, here, don't, just don't say who I'm playing. This bit here is very helpful, right? With the uh, fleets being built and sending mm. out, especially with sea lanes in play. 
Mm. Um, I can see this little beachhead here making a huge amount of progress down here. The main thing is, provided I can dislodge this one here in the in the the key, what's that called? The main sea lane area, uh, the control zone or something, overseer yeah. zone. Overseer zone, yes. Provided I can get that overseer zone, it depends on how they kind of retreat. Then that allows me to start moving down this way, which then allows me to start getting into this undefended set um, area as well. Yeah. Uh, I'm not sure how you managed to get here, but that's over here. Pretty, yeah. Oh, okay. So. I ended up coming over, I, I was actually had a, a fleet up here, sorry listeners, this just makes absolutely no sense whatsoever, <laughs> but this is what this is the great thing about anonymous games, you've got to keep them anonymous, I had a fleet up here and I've convoyed from here over to here, and then this area at the time was undefended and I was able to kind of quickly scamper down that way. I guess I can kind of describe it for the for people listening here, there's... Umbi has a, a group of units that seem to be behind enemy lines just sort of establishing control over a certain bit of coastline that he's building fleets on and he's going to be able to force his way into a lot more uh, as a result of it. Um, I like the triple defense here as well. uh, to make sure you can build that. But yeah, um, yeah. had to play safe. <laughs> so some bastard didn't kind of support me in but I didn't want to be. <laughs> Yep. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, can't say too much more about that, I guess, without giving away who you are. But so I'm doing okay at the moment. So in in a fifty state game, so uh, oh shit, wrong way. <laughs> in a fifty state game, oh, I'm currently, I think, I'm on. I'm coming sixth. Mm. So by the time this goes live in late January, February, that won't mean anything to anybody. <laughs> and maybe I'm already out the door by then. Maybe you're first by then. Who knows? Mm. I can see everyone's still a very long way away from uh, soloing. Yeah, it's still a long way from soloing. In your experience, have there been many solos here? I haven't been I, uh, I don't, From memory, I don't think there's been a single solo of Divided States, which I'd expect. Yeah. It would be very hard to win that, that particular board. And... The number of supply centres and territories, it's just like, that's like a long-term commitment. That's like a 24-hour a or 48-hour phase game, or unit, so phases. I reckon it's still at least a good year, two years worth of gameplay. So. This is a kind of controversial issue, or it has been in, on uh, VDIP in the past. How do you feel about... I'm suddenly being interviewed. How do you feel about uh, variants like this where they have sort of unattainable solo conditions versus variants like World War 4 where you only need 50 out of 300 or whatever to win? Well, actually, it's a great question. I can't even remember what the actual victory conditions are of this variant. Wonderful question. I think it's 100, but I'm not sure. So... Okay, so you need 140 supply centres... Oh, it's it's a it's a it's a fifty percent, fifty percent plus one. So it's two hundred and seventy nine supply centers. So basically, that's going to be pretty difficult to win. So um, I guess that's probably the only thing that Technostar may want to consider as the variant creator um, longer term about whether it makes sense to continue to do that or um, lower the threshold a little bit. I don't, I don't know. know. What are your thoughts on that? 
I think it, it definitely needs to be higher than what World War Fours are. I remember there, there used to be huge arguments on the forum between uh, mainly Roughhouse and the guy who created World War Four. I think he's stopped coming to meet him now. He's called Tomahaha. Oh, yeah. Um, between whether 50 is reasonable or not. Um, but 50 means that someone on the other side of the board can win before you've potentially even got into a position where you can do anything about it, yeah. even through negotiation. Um, <laughs> with 50% plus one, it means that anyone who's relevant has a chance to stop it. Yep. So I think you, you need to get it to a level where anyone who's relevant has a chance to stop it, but not completely unattainable. Yeah, okay. And in the hundreds is insane. If you're controlling 130 units a turn, on a 24-hour deadline, that's like your entire afternoon gone planning. I'm um, actually like, for example, I'm on like mid-20 supply centers at the moment when it comes to putting in unit uh, orders. And this is on a gunboat game, so you don't have to worry about negotiating. It still takes me a long, long, long time to be able to put in units, even if they're sorry, put in orders, even even if they're bleedingly obvious orders, and where. You've really got to sit down and think about, well, what's someone going to do and how's that going to pan out and where I need to be going and um, where do I want to be in two or three years' time in the game. Like, there's been some times here, and I'll, I'll use an example. I mean, there is a chance, do I, in, in a, um, an August phase, decide to go down this way, even though I'm not going to get a supply centre because it's going to allow me to punch through in that direction, you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, yeah, or it's um, hard to know. If you change your mind on one unit, suddenly you have to reevaluate all your orders, <laughs> or well, everything along that front. Yeah. So if you decided actually it's better to support hold that unit and make sure it stays in place, and then uh, beforehand you've been planning around going down to this center yep. or this province, you suddenly have to change your orders for everything in this area. Um, yeah, that's painful. I <laughs> I played a um, five minute phase game of World Diplomacy nine once. Oh yeah, which was horrendous. I was entering thirty orders in uh, in five minutes. <laughs> well, oh, there's not that many territories in World Diplomacy nine, is there? Um, well, there must be. Hang on, I, I, I know, I know the one you mean. It's the one with the penguins, isn't it? Yes, it's the one with frozen Antarctica as a <laughs> as a, as a player. Yeah, um, I can try and find the game. Uh, but like towards the end what I was doing was just um, forgetting about half the, the units not bothering entering orders for them because I wouldn't get them in on time uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, where is it it's, um, this was on web diplomacy I don't think you'd ever manage to get a live game of, of something that large going on uh, on VDIP well, whenever I want to play a live game, and I've only actually had, I think, one or two of them, it's just a case of going over to WebDip because, and I've probably played it now, because there's just the numbers there to be able to play a live game. The, the challenge is, because of the time zones in Australia, it's pretty much impossible. Yeah. Unless you can kind of get a game over and done with within a, you know, a, a three-hour window. That was something Tim uh, complained to me about the... Um, I got something wrong here. Um, Tim was saying he doesn't play uh, 24 hour games, he rarely plays 36 hour games as well because um, as an Australian it's really difficult to communicate with people 
because people aren't online at the right times. And actually, that was one thing that really made it difficult for me in our tournament of time because I think pretty much all the players were either in North America or Europe. And whenever that, so they'd have all these massive chats going on, and they go, "Well, I haven't heard from this other guy from wherever I was playing." And naturally, I think there's a bit of a, um, a predilection for diplomacy players in the online environment, where if you don't hear from anyone, you kind of establish early bonds with other players, and then that person you haven't heard from naturally becomes a target. Yes. So um, I do think that those of us in that Asian time zone, which is probably only really Australia and New Zealand. Maybe there's a couple of odd players in you know, Hong Kong and Singapore, but I don't know. Um, it makes it a bit harder. Yes. Um, especially with tournament through time, because that's done on Slack, mm. uh, which is live chat. Live chat, yeah. So people don't leave messages for you, they just say, are you around, and then wait for you to reply. Yeah, yeah. And if you don't reply, they don't talk to you. And if you're a Slack ass on top of that, like me, that makes it even worse. Uh, I made a mistake with the... I had 24 units maximum during the... I was China in this game. Oh, okay. That was five minutes phase. And it was a press game as well. <laughs> it was a press game? Yeah. So you were going to I just ignored press towards the end. Did um, you let people know you were ignoring press? No, but everyone figured it out eventually because anyone who has anywhere near this many units has to do it as well. Yeah, okay. Um, you would be able to send out maybe one message maximum of plays towards the end. Um, yeah, it would only be like this player here in North Africa that would be the only one really sending out messages. Maybe um, near here. I think Frozen Antarctica was sending messages for a while as well, which was impressive because he had 17. Is it 17? Yeah. yeah. USA 17. wouldn't be sending anything out. I had uh, 24 to it. But uh, <laughs> this game was insane. Uh, we had to draw at the end because one of the players needed to leave. Uh, oh, really? I think I still could have made a fair bit of progress. But yeah. This is not something I would try again. Ah. One of my games has actually just recently ticked over, which is the um, Imperial. Uh, Imperial, yeah. So this is a, um, a oh, fuck, wrong button. Um, I always do that. I'm very shit with these things. This was a uh, an unranked game, which I didn't realise until I'd actually bought into it. <laughs> actually, I didn't realise for quite a long while until Kana pointed it out in an interview or in a pub. I thought, oh my god. So, um, and this is not anonymous, so this is okay. So I am playing Russia in this one. And um, I did actually take over a CD position. Was it a good position? No, at the time. At the time, it wasn't that bad. I had, uh, Prussia was deeply attacking me into here. And the player who was playing Turkey, because this player had NMR'd, had decided to actually kind of stab them at the same time. Uh, I had actually at the time been friends with uh, China, who I subsequently stabbed, and I actually had a really good position all the way over this part of um, North America, which has subsequently been lost to the um, Confederate States. But um, yeah, it's not going too bad. I managed to kind of, this worked out the way I wanted, which is like picking up three oh, Chinese wow, supply yeah. centres there. Was that a stab this phase? Or was no, that, no, no, I stabbed that's... him probably about... Three or four game years ago. Right. 
and that that was a very difficult position because I was friends with both um, uh, Holland and China, but I could kind of see strategically I needed to probably ally myself more with Holland because he was in a position to be a better help um, in other locations such as the fight in North America because he was quite well positioned in the Pacific to be able to come across and help against um, Mexico and a little bit of CSA. So it was one of those things where I had to make a bit of a a judgment call around which of my friends do I long-term care about the most. Yeah. And and at the time, China was too busy fighting down here against what was France and Indochina and a little bit of... um, There was a little bit of rump of Britain down here at the time in in, uh, India. So it was a pretty easy decision to stab him wasn't one I really was proud of, but it worked out well. Yeah. Not so good for him. He's he's basically dead here, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, Holland yeah. has done quite well out of it as well, though. So oh, yeah. Holland's made quick gains. So Holland at the moment is the lead player. I do think it actually is a winner-take-all. But being a um, an unranked game, it's like, well, it doesn't really matter. You know what I mean? Mm. It's a winner-take-all? Uh, oh, it's unrated, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. Anyway, it's the type of thing that it's it's not a bad game. It's a bit of fun. Yeah. I quite like Imperial anyway. So something I was talking about quite recently with uh, Alex, the person who's running the tournament through time, mm-hmm. uh, no pun intended, is what was it? Alex it might have been the the Saudi player. I forget. I was talking to both of them, but um, is that it's really hard to make these maps. Um, where you can immediately see who's doing particularly well because Europe tends to be crammed with yeah. SCs and everywhere else tends to have huge ones. Um, like, you've designed variants before, right? Mm-hmm. Have you got any thoughts on how to overcome that or is it just something that's always going to happen with world games? Yeah, um, I do generally try to avoid large territories which are just geographically immense because it actually does create a visual feeling that one player is doing better than the other. And I'll use that example of that Divided States game we were talking about before, where I'm a, um, a player, you know, oh, fuck. Um, I'm a player who kind of sits straddle of a little bit of that, if you know what I mean, without, again, going into details of the particular game. And, like, so this, this location here is quite compact, but this location here is quite big, and I have actually at one stage been over in this part over here, which makes me look a lot bigger than I am, even though it's just one supply center. And this player here, um, up until recent times, which was had a border pretty much all the way into my territory like this, this area is just so tightly full of supply centers, even though it's such a small geographic area. So um, it's been... I underestimated him for a long while until I realised he was like way ahead of me in supply centres. Yeah. Uh, and like within the um, these divided states, I think you tend to find like the more western states tend to have that, and and northern areas tend to, in Canada tend to have that large dispersal of territory, which makes them look like they're doing better than they are. That said, in this particular game, this player is doing very well, and that player is doing very well, and that's what normally happens. You usually have someone within. The West that really kind of takes charge, whether that's usually California or Hawaii, and 
somewhere in the centre usually does well, whether it's normally you know a Texas or a, uh, Arizona or a New Mexico. So, yeah, the people taking control of the area around where they get to. I mean, that's pretty common in every large variant, right? You have people who, who control America and people who control Europe and people who yeah. control like, East Asia or whatever. Um, like. <laughs> I suppose in plastic as well as the problem of Russia looks a lot larger than it is just generally but it's yeah. not quite as it, it's not quite as different as between say Europe and, and Asia in Imperial or, yeah. or in here um, or in World War 4 or anything like that where you start getting these bits along the side you know what I mean yeah um, like, one thing I, I suggested to Alex was maybe having a, a magnified region, like you have Hawaii and divided states, for example, around Europe, so that it's, you know, at least the, the supply centers look a bit bigger, it doesn't look as cramped. Yeah. But then you have problems of adjacency between the inner box and the outer box, Yeah. Um, which are actually really hard to solve. Well, Kane has had that same conversation with me about a variant that I wanted to create and never got around to because it's just too difficult with coding. Uh, and that was um, a variant I had which in my mind, which was nuclear diplomacy. Oh, and I, I his, love that idea. And his idea was what you need to have is like a big map but have like a, a, a fish lens type of around the really tight congregations of space and just pull it out. So whether that's like Central America or, you know, um, uh, Eastern Europe or some of those locations where you've got a dense packing of territories. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a good plan. Um, would it, the real problem with adjacency issues in this, well, is because if you have a, a few provinces that are connected to a lot of provinces they tend to be a stalemate line um, yeah they're pretty much always a stalemate line uh, which is exactly why in um, say world war four you have uh, stalemate lines all down the sea because they're the sea provinces in world war four are huge and the land provinces are mm. really tiny yeah so you have like one person sticks a fleet in the uh, sea province and he can suddenly defend it with six units behind it. Yeah. And you can only attack it with two from the front. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you if you have differences in, in supply center or, or just province uh, size, you can have that problem. I think that would be a problem if you had a fish island as well, right? Yeah. Unless you source it. Like his, I think his idea would be like you take something like almost like a modern map and some or other fish ends, fish lens eye around that. It's it's so you like zoom in on certain areas and then have uh, you try and keep the province size the same all the way across the board. Um, yeah, I don't but know. the actual size would be different, I guess. It, it's it's so. a bit of it's a bit of a moot point, isn't it? Because like the amount the rule changes required to be able to do nuclear diplomacy anyway. Make it pretty much impossible. Well, did you ask uh, Super Dipsy about it when you talked no, to no, him? No, 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 no. I mean, if he could implement the solution, he could probably implement uh, nuclear. Well, let's let him kind of <laughs> do disillusion first. Yeah. Because the thing with, with nuclear diplomacy was the idea of having like a... Um, so I don't know if you remember if I'm, when I talked about that. 
It's like the idea of you have certain nuclear powers who can facilitate a nuclear launch on, on but basically it's like you go through like a, a DEFCON situation where um, let's say I'm America and you're France okay so you're, you're a nuclear power I'm a nuclear power but maybe I'm involved in an attack on England you don't know you know I've launched a nuke but you don't know where the nukes currently going so uh, let's say that spring I launch a nuke in spring and the nuke lands in wherever so it goes almost like into the um, um, the atmosphere or wherever like that. Where, wherever yeah. nuclear weapons go when they've been sent up via an intercontinental ballistic missile, and then that that territory is effectively connected to every territory on the board, but only can be connected by a nuclear weapon as opposed to a conventional unit. Yeah. So that when someone launches, you in France think, oh well, he's got an altercation at the moment with the UK and I don't have a, a, a you know a issue with the UK and America or whatever so I'm probably safe but who knows whether I just started a big massive stab on you yeah or China or whoever like that mm. uh, and then there's that added dimension of once you get to a certain level of you know um, contamination in the world everyone loses yeah I mean I love the idea of the new being able to go anywhere and sort of telegraphing what it's going to do the term before but not telegraphing exactly where it's going to go yeah uh, because you might panic like three or four people by doing this and suddenly you have an actual nuclear war situation well, that's right and the idea is you know if, if, if I'm having a, as I said if I'm the US and I'm having an argument with the UK and I launch a nuke do US France and then Russia and China go well, I don't actually know where that's going so I'm going to launch my weapons now against America because if I don't and actually, that, that weapon, that all those nukes go to hit me in France, it wipes out your whole supply centres and everything, and you can't do a retaliatory strike. Yeah, I mean, the important thing was uh, it could actually it can hit a nuke, right? And blow, a, blow, blow someone else's nuke up. Is that uh, that wasn't the That wasn't I the plan. That would be an added Star Wars dimension, you know, with a, you know, an SDI system. I mean, not, not hit the nuke in mid-air. People build nukes, right, and then wait to use them or they can launch them on them um, well on, on the normal on the normal you know uh, PHP diplomacy rules engine there, w- there wasn't um, fleets and armies there would be conventional units and nuclear weapons so your conventional unit that happens to be on it doesn't really matter what it is it can go into land and water but the nukes are the only ones that can actually kind of go yeah. long term but yes, the idea would be, the coding involved would be, like again, use the example. I launch, as America, a nuke in spring. You see that coming and you go, I don't know if it's coming to me or not, but I assume it is, even though you're not. So you then put in your order to have launched the nuke in August. Sorry, August. Autumn. Yeah. It actually hits you in autumn, but you've already launched it. But yeah. there needs to be rules in the in the... Uh, PHP code to then allow that nuke to continue to be even though your supply centres have been destroyed and you can't theoretically retain your build units, those nukes have already gone, so you should yeah. be able to still retain those until they impact. Well I mean you could just turn them into a neutral unit at that point, right? Once they go into space. Um, oh that's another way so of it, yeah. You, we've, yeah, it's actually not a bad idea. Yeah. I say we've already got the code, but we've got it in Pirates the, yeah. the Hurricane. Yeah. The problem is Pirates just breaks every iteration of the web code. <laughs> so Oh so like, bastardized, not funny. Yeah, the most um, the 
most recent mod request I got actually was someone saying, I think the Pirates variant is broken, can you have a look at it? Um, Looked through it and it's doing very weird stuff at the moment. It's like not letting supported units take normal, like, unsupported units. Oh, really? Um, So I just said, okay, I'll refer this to Ollie and see whether he'll do anything about it. But in the meantime, something pretty awesome that VDIP lets you do is uh, enable loss prevention. Um, So that was a tool Ollie put in where you can enable loss prevention on the game to make sure that anyone who gains V-points from the game still gains those V-points. Anyone who would lose V-points doesn't lose anything. Okay. Um, so if a game's completely bugged out but someone's put a ton of effort into getting a point, to a point where they, they're going to win, you can just enable loss pre- prevention which stops the people who are losing from being okay. hit by that. But the people who, who are winning still get the points out of it. So, so you're still doing mod stuff over at VDIP? Or not reluctantly. really? In and out. <laughs> reluctantly. The problem is, no one else is. Uh, oh, really? Well, there, there are a bunch of mods on VDIP, but we're all sort of semi-retired. So, if... Uh, <laughs> You're living in your country houses. Yeah. Um, we're all, I think everyone's trying to retire, but no one actually can, because there aren't enough people actually to take over. Okay. So, if people are on VDIP and, and you're... You're interested in doing mod work? You can send out this advertisement on the podcast. Just PM me. <laughs> and yeah, I'll have a look. Cool. Okay. Um, I've cut off everything I wanted to cover off. How about you? That's pretty much everything I, I can think of as well. Awesome. Okay. Well, my do a wrap. So I'm Ambi. Yeah. And I'm Cap. Until next time. See ya. And we're back. Back. Oh, shit, that's it. Maybe it's like down here, like. I don't know. It's better. Oh. It's much better. Yep. What's the wine like in Edinburgh? I had a beer in Edinburgh. Yeah, did you try the wine? No. No. Because well, you, you look at what they've got in the bar and you check out the wine menu and it's like, man. Go the whiskey. Go the beer. I went the beer. Yep. Yep. Well, you guys had a nice, interesting chat about a few things, there. Yeah. I think the only time I had wine was when I was in uh, Seattle with the guys from Diplomacy Cast. I was having something from somewhere in Oregon, I think. I can't remember what it was. And then I kind of stepped it up to the tequila then. Onto the tequila. You had a tequila on I the last I had tequila in the last place, yeah, because yep. the wine was so bad. Well, not so bad, just pretty ordinary. Oh, okay. Anyway, we're digressing. So, Captain Meme. I learned a lot from Captain Meme around face-to-face games because it's been so long that I forgot about how the um, some of the logistics actually work in calculating the time you've basically got for your negotiations. Once you've taken out the time for retreats and the time for orders to be submitted, and but that, that's in that's in straight tournaments where where they oh, where they yeah. they're, they're, they're strict on. Uh, I thought it was a good way to hurry things up by. Um, having retreats and builds in true 
onto the next amount of um, discussion time. Could you use that to your advantage there? Um, let's say, let's say you're, you're, you're being attacked a lot. Could you delay on that to give your attackers less time to discuss in the next round? How would you would actually do that, though? Hey? Well, well, so you're given 15 minutes, you take, right? You take too long to do your retreats. Yeah, but you take your full five minutes intruding into the next round. Yeah. Could you delay it like that? Too? Oh, of course you can, but you're probably also then going to piss people off. I reckon it Increase your chance of you know, yeah. getting killed early. And I'll flip it around the other way. Shouldn't you be using that time to pony up someone else to create a new alliance with you or try to split that alliance or... You can't talk during retreats and builds. That's what I mean. That's why you want to speed up the retreats and builds so you can get out there and try to turn people. Yes, but what if it's a complex alliance and you decrease... Uh, I, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I, I, I get what you're saying. Um, anyway. that, that, that's for the tournament stuff, like if it's a house game or... The thing I also found interesting, I think, with with Captain Meme when we were talking about face-to-face games, is because it's been so long since my university days that I've actually played anything face-to-face, it's my analogy, I think, is still very true, which is like, if I went up and played a face-to-face game now, that in itself is a variant, because it's not what I'm used to. Yeah, it's actually so out of the ordinary. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. So, um, and you guys had a had a good old discussion about um, your divided states game, Andy. Oh, we did, we did. But before we do that, gotta to touch on one other thing, and that was um, the heads up that Captain gave me about certain Australian players that spend all their time <laughs> trying to look over your shoulder and see what you're writing down for your orders. And that, that that's going to be um, especially handy when we go to the March um, Dip Convention in Melbourne. Yes, that's called cool. Melbourne Open. Melbourne Open. It sounds like a bit of a tennis match, actually. Well, they call the Melbourne Open the Melbourne Open, don't they? The tennis. Do they? Yeah, it's Melbourne Open. Oh, I thought that's where they had the Australia Cup. No, sorry, uh, what's it? The Australia... Fuck, what's it? Australian Open's in Melbourne. The Australian Open's in Melbourne. They don't call it the Melbourne Open. They call it the Australian Australian Open, Open. yeah. It's in Melbourne. That's on next week or two in Australia in real time when we're recording, but by the time this goes out, it's well and truly over. Been and done, yeah. Okay. But uh, anyway, definitely a heads up as to um, making sure. <laughs> you know, the funny thing is I can see myself doing it myself. <laughs> I can really like, oh yeah, okay. <laughs> I can see myself doing that. Yeah. I can see how that would frustrate people coming from a culture where that's just not, not, not something you would do, even if you had the opportunity to do so. Yeah, so... It'll be an interesting experience. So we'll have to, we'll have to look at later on the, um, the flights and work out what we're going to do on that one. Um, other things that were slightly face-to-face, that was interesting. And I can't remember whether the captain was talking about it in the 2019 or the 2020 uh, World Dipcon. Pretty sure it was next year's. Next one. So the yep, Marseille one. Yep, Marseille. Having a... A boss. Boss running on the top board for all those players that aren't actually playing the top board. How good would that be? Just need to kind of. I, I, there's no way in the world I can save up enough money for that. <laughs> I wonder if you could have like a, a buyer type arrangement, like in an auction house, you could text or, or request certain stocks. 
to be bought in real time from overseas. Like instead of just having the oh, people yeah. there, actually have people buyers from who are observing the game oh, yeah. in real time as it's going up on Backstabber or whatever they're using to record the game. I suppose, I mean, there's no reason why you couldn't technically. Um, it'll just be the logistics again of um, if the game is running, I don't know, how long would it go for? Four, five, six hours? Yeah. So Making sure you're online. And if it started at, yeah. say, nine o'clock in the morning and went to three o'clock in the afternoon, um, three o'clock in the afternoon is 1,500 hours, local time, time differences here. It's possible. That would be about just after midnight in Australia. You'd have to dedicate time to do it. I wonder if they'd be open for that. I don't know. I'd have to reach out to them. That would be fun, though. I, 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 you know, I, I can't go to Marseille, but could I be a force participant. participant? Captain, I know you listen to this stuff. Let me know. I'd be interested. Of course, what the boss they're talking about for their top board is, is, is the pure force, mm. where um, there's no interaction between the boss players and the players on the map. Absolutely none. So the players on the maps are, you know, the, the top board, they're 100% diplomacy. But other players around them all start off with stocks and buy and sell, irregardless so, of what's happening on the board. So let's say... It let's, has no effect. Right. But can those people who are participating in the boards, can they talk amongst themselves? So let's use the example of, of the bourses that you've facilitated where... Yep. A number of players will um, get together and work out a strategy to dump certain currencies or to spike certain currencies. Yeah, according to advantage on the board or yeah. otherwise. So the issue is there is presumably that would happen in real life within that environment. Within boss players, as boss talking as to each talking, other, so you and I... Which would be a bit of a disadvantage to the online boss players, I think. And it would be, yeah. Unless you created your own online boss cabal. <laughs> There's 50 boss players, you know, stacking stops. Yeah, I don't think I'd appreciate that. Um, no, I, I think there was communication between boss players. Mm. Yeah, I, I guess that's something I'd have to look into, whether or not they, it's a private thing between you and the, the, the bank. Yeah. Or if it's something that you could talk to others about. Um, I forget, I have to re-look at the rules to see if that's... From your point of view, as someone who's facilitating... Okay, so we've obviously got seven players who'll be playing the top board. Yep. I don't know how many people will be playing the boards. Ten? Twenty? Presumably all the people there who want to be involved who are no longer in the top board. So how long did it take you as a boss game master to do all your stuff and work everything out? So when people kind of got to get to you your, your orders, then you have to kind of put it all into your system. And your system, if it's, if it's nice and fluid, will go boop, 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 and give you the answer. Spit it out, yeah. Um, but it's, it's the importing of that information. Well, we played on larger boards to start off. True, so you've got more... But Yeah, so you've got more players playing the boards because there was about 15 people in the known world boards. Yeah. So... so the, 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 the bit which took me the longest was 
translating the raw data from the spreadsheet yep. and putting it into individual outcomes for the players yeah, in a readable format. That bit took me the longest bit to do and I found shortcuts to be able to do that. Yeah. Um, presumably, if you're doing it live at a, at a, at a, at a board game convention, you know, where it's actually you know, it's ongoing, you would put all the entries into the spreadsheet, which doesn't take too long, and just have a running display on another monitor showing whatever that outcome is. And the yep. players would go up and just mark down what that is. You know, you assume that there'd be more of an interactive basis in the um, in the interpretation of the results as opposed to I think the game master having to yeah. do a bit of more of that in the online I'm just conscious that like in a, in a tournament environment, if say each phase is only 15 minutes, how much time may be required to input 50 players' boss orders? Yeah, so you might say, okay, orders have to be in five minutes before deadline. Yeah. Um, yeah. And each player only has to go, you know, it's only seven. Mm. Plus, minus, blah, blah, blah. I know that, but, it, but it, it, it's not so much the number of players on the board, it's the number of players on the boss then that becomes the issue. Yeah, yeah, potentially. I don't know whether there's scope for some of the cleverer technically driven minded people to be able to come up with a solution where people just submit their buys and sells on their smartphone. Yeah, like turn it into an app. So it just goes straight then into the database that can give the answers in real time, real time as soon as the turn's resolved, you know what I mean? See, that'd be fun too. If I'm, like, I don't know, some sort of Discord server that does that. Mm. Yeah. I don't see why not. Well, it's a relatively straightforward spreadsheet. Well, actually, well, so yeah. um, Captain Meme's a Java guru. Well, soon to be a Java guru, you know. So I'm, maybe I'm sure he, he aced his um, exam. I is, hope he did, because, you know, he was having just glasses of Coke. Yeah, well, I'm sure he smashed it. Yeah. I hope he did. I hope he did. I should actually double-check with him and see how he went with it. I think it was a project for him to set up, ready to go. Yeah. He'd like that. <laughs> Another thing on his plate. <laughs> so other things that um, we talked about the I, I, we during the interview we, I gave a bit of an update. And we we're looking at the anonymous divided states game that I'm currently in that you got eliminated in. Oh yes, I'll, I'll pull and that up so we can have a look at it. Since then things have moved on, and actually by the time this goes out live, it would have moved on again since then. So you're now doing better than you felt you were doing last. Yeah, I'm going up in the world. Going up in the world, yeah. So, um... Still got enemies around you, still got friends. Yeah, it's, it's, um... I think we're now getting very much into the mid to late mid-game. I don't know, what do you think? Well, with these large maps, who's to say? That's true, good point. I mean, is this, is this the late, early game? No. Hey? I not think about who, who, I mean, yeah... I, who's to say? Uh, I don't know. You know, there's yet to be a winner on this map, is there? No, no, that's yeah. right. How many players are left on the board at the moment? Oh, I don't know. You kind of got one of those yeah, views up there. Um, there's not many, I think. There's only about a dozen or so, I think. Maybe a bit 
depending on how you count some of the lower players. Yeah, one, do you count players two, with only two, two or three? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve. Thirteen, fourteen, fifteen. So there's fifteen players at the moment. Some of three of them are angle. down to yeah. like one or two supply centers. So yeah. let's just assume they're gonna go. And actually probably the one that's on five is on the way out too, so they'll probably be gone. So there's only probably about eleven. Eleven of his left. Eleven or twelve left of, of possible contenders. Hmm. Which out of fifty players is pretty brutal. Now you you were mentioning this on your on your um, when you're you're talking to Captain Bean, but when you look at these maps, visually, some of these towers look a lot larger because of the physical space that yeah. these territories take up on the map yep. than other powers do. Yep. Um, so, for instance, some of these powers in the northeast. All around the New England type of area where you've got little, or very small supply centre territories, you mean, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Might actually have a lot of units, but, look but visually don't look as powerful as, say, um, some of these ones in the central and western. Central and western and far north and far south, yeah. Yeah. No, I agree. So, as with all things, it's, it's not a case of just looking at what's on the board and who owns what on the board. It's... What's actually going on within the um, um, the breakdown of the players, you know, their totals and so their forth. Their unit totals, yeah. yeah. And um, as with any game, it's important to be looking here at where the alliances are, who is attacking who. If somebody is, you know, bogged down fighting on two or three other fronts, yep. that means chances are they're not going to stab you because they haven't got the physical ability to do so maybe that's an opportunity for you as a player to stab them if that works for you and I have done that on a couple of occasions in this game Mm -hmm. where it was clear that a player was going to be heading out the door their units were all um, on a on a um, uh, battlefront fighting someone else but they were clearly not going to be able to hold the line. So it wasn't a case that I could come down and just rely on them and support them. They were still going to lose. Okay. So in which case, it's time to start taking some of their supply centres. Before they lose more. Yeah, yeah. and that's something that I've relearned probably in the last 6 to 12 months. Yeah. I think I, if we went back and listened to some of our older recordings, I kept losing all the time. It's because I kept trying to prop up players who were on the way out or players who had MNMR'd and because they were trying to I was trying to create a um, a, a bulwark to attacking players so in your mind you've gotten more ruthless more what? ruthless yeah I think so yeah. more more calculating when it comes to alliances this is um, Fair to say? Yeah, look, I'm not going to toot my horn and say that I'm a, a great diplomacy player because I don't believe I'm a great diplomacy player. I think I'm a, a good diplomacy player, but nothing great. But I have changed some of my tactics in recent games, and they seem to be pulling off, playing off. Pulling off? Playing off. Playing I've had off. too many drinks now. Hey, has the Divided States got the transform option into it? It does. Actually, I've got a really good question for you about that. So... Um, you said you may know this answer because I don't actually know off the top of my head. Let's say I have a 
army on a coast. Yep. And I want to transform it into a fleet. Yep. But one of my opposing someone I'm up against decides to um, move. No, they decide to, to tap that unit. Yes. They move, attack it, they tap it. Now, for my memory, when that happens, the transform doesn't happen, correct? Correct. Right. Now, if I happen to be supporting that unit that's transforming, and yep. just one unit comes and taps it, does it still transform? No. It doesn't? No. Why? Because the transform option only happens when there's no units attacking at full stop. Really? Yep. That is stupid. It's such a powerful option, though. It's overly powerful. The transform option is really powerful. So, to transform a unit, you can't have... It can't be tapped by an enemy unit. Right. So... Let's look at this particular board without with boss being pretty nondescript on the on the recorder. So this unit here that I'm talking about, if I on want the to, coast, on yes. the coast, I want to transform to transform into a fleet. Yes. If I transform into a fleet and then still support and hold it, and even though I might have three units supporting it and holding it, one little tap from this other unit is just going to stop it. Correct. So I'm never going to be able to because this is the one SC on that body of water, I'm never going to be able to move into that body of water. Unless you move out of that, protect it and build there. Ah, yes. Might be a solution, like just thinking out loud. Um, the other the other question that I gets asked... I hadn't thought of that. That's, 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 that's yep. smart. The other question that gets asked... Smart Kana. Uh, People misjudge you, but no, I, I say right now, you're a smart Renly. Renly. I'm Renly. No, you're Renly. Yeah. I'm, 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 um, I'm the one. You're the, the guy. Aren't you the, the one that used to be the head of the Night's Watch? That's right. I saw him and he was advertising something now when I went over in England. I can't remember what it was. It was some type of insurance. Hmm. Was it car insurance? Hmm. Appreciate it until he's no longer there. Yes. Hmm. All right. Well, I appreciate you <laughs> and you're no longer there. To help you in this game at all. Yeah. <laughs> Now, well, look, on the transform option, the, the other question that gets asked occasionally... Yeah. Well, actually, on a semi-regular basis in the, in the mod forum, um, is let's say you've got one army on the coast and you've got another army that's supporting it to hold. Yep. Right? But that army on the coast is transforming. Yes. Now, let's say there's two units on the ocean territory. Yep. One of which is supporting the other to attack... The yes. unit on the coast. Yes. The question is, does the transform option count as a whole in the case of a defence? Ooh, I would have thought yes, but yes, it does. Oh, good. Thank God for that. Yeah, okay, yeah. good. Yeah. So, so you can support hold a transform option. Yep. That transform option, if attacked, reverts to being a whole. Gotcha. Yeah. Any other questions about the transform option? No, I think that pretty well covers it. Yeah. Transform up. Transform's not always in all games. It's only in a select number of variants. Yeah, it has to be a has to be something. But, but that actual yeah. rule dynamic that you've described goes across any of those transform correct yes. variants. Okay, yeah. cool. It's applicable to all variants that have that transform option. Excellent. Um, so the other thing I'll just touch on this, and this is gets onto my more ruthless tactic. 
And we talked about this just briefly off tape. Also, I think we might have been just you know peering over the edge of the building, going ah, so scary or something. I don't remember. Um, <laughs> and that's the fact that I've been trying things which are more around flanking manoeuvres, and I've okay. found those to be working quite well. To the extent that um, one of the players that I've been uh, attacking has. You know, I've I've made really good inroads into them. Okay. And on maybe one or two occasions afterwards, when it's come to times to put in their their build orders or their disband orders, yep. they have actually um, gone in, but haven't actually created orders. They've NMR'd. They haven't CD'd. They've NMR'd. They haven't provided no move received. No yeah. receive. But they've got a disband that they have to disband. But they may have multiple disbands now. My question relates to um, actually, you're able to bring up whilst we're talking here that those those map um, history things or whatever like that. This particular one. My question relates to my understanding is that the, the, the PHP system by default starts focusing around removing units that are as far away as possible from your home supply centers mm-hmm. is that correct oh look because um, this was a bit wacky when I, when I looked at it look it I, I don't know because okay here's, here's, here's the here's the map we're talking about here so yep. let's use this one as an example so that makes perfect sense that those ones there were disbanded because they're quite far away from the homeland mm-hmm. but then you've got other units down here which are very close one of which is suspended on a right next to it. Yeah, which are which are adjacent to. Oh, no, actually, no. I tell a lie. This person's homeland is there, not there. Okay. Um, so they are a little bit further away, but there seems to be other units that are still away over here. They haven't been disbanded. That went up. They got disbanded though. Look, mate, it's a mystery to me. I don't know. Uh, personally, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, it's I mean, not lucky dip though, because if it was lucky dip, you'd kind of expect it to also happen randomly across the board. But it seems to be a little bit far away, a little bit not so far away. Okay, now you're you're you're, you're going to the grey cells here. Um, there was. Do you need some more alcohol to help with that? <laughs> or was that yeah. going to make it worse? All right, more alcohol. Sounds oh. good. Oh well, let's pause and get more alcohol. Bye. And we are back. Oh, fuck, do it again. Do, do, do. Oh, that's really good. <laughs> Bottom. Okay. Bottom on yours and yep. mid on mine. Excellent. Nice. Well, cheers. Cheers. I really enjoy that Malbec. It's great. Um, I've got the answer to your question in a flow chart. Okay. I was oh. just actually going to say, the bar here is really good. They've got a lot of variety yep. compared to the last place. Yep. Both with wines, but particularly with spirits. A lot of spirits. We could get really, really messy here, Kana, but that would not go down well with our better halves. Yeah, Mrs. and Mrs. Andy and no. Kana are not going to be happy if we no. get them too drunk. Yeah. Anyway, you have an answer to my question, which yes. was. Okay, right. So, how it's supposed to work with disbands for a country that's NMR'd or CD. Yep. Supposed to go, number one priority is the distance from home supply centre, right? Right. 
if it is distance from home supply centre, then the number A priority from there is that there is no supply centre that that army or unit happens to be on. Right. Right? Yep. If there's no units with that aren't on territories with no supply centres, then it defaults to distance from home supply centres on supply centres. Okay, yep. Right? And then it's alphabetical from then on. Right? Regardless of whether it's no SC or SC. Um, if it's equal distance, then it becomes alphabetical. Okay, when you say equal distance, you mean as in like the number of spaces... Away from a home supply centre. Okay. Okay. So Warsaw and Munich would be equal distance from Austrian supply centres. and Munich. Sorry, brain's going moving very brain slowly at the moment. <laughs> yeah, yes. Warsaw, okay. yeah, yeah, yep, yep, yep. yep, yep. It would be Munich that gets disbanded first because M becomes before W. Right. Yep. Okay, that makes sense. Now, but for this particular variant, it's built anywhere. Yeah. So does that mean that all centres become home supply centres or just whatever your original home supply centres are? So it comes back to how it's supposed to work. Right. Right. That's how it's supposed to work and that's how it used to work, I think, for a while. Something happened, it broke. Yep. I don't think it's been working like that for a long time. Right. What I think happens now, and I'm pretty sure it's, it's what happens now, is that there's a numerical value assigned to each unit that is built in right. the order that is built okay all right so let's say you start off with three units an army an army and a fleet yep your fourth builds an army your fifth builds a fleet your sixth builds a fleet your seventh builds is the army yep right and let's say you lose a supply center and your nmr in disbands yep right it would be the seventh unit that you built would get disbanded it doesn't matter where it is the oh, wait a unit. So this is the way it's working at the moment as this opposed to the way it's meant to work. Yeah. Right. Now, right. okay. we go back to the example here. Yes. Um, and, and you guys can't see it, but if we scroll down to um, the last build that... Had all the disbands. That just before the disbands. Oh, okay. That this particular player that you're pointing out um, made. I think you'll find that it's one of the units that um, gets disbanded. Um, yeah. Build. Oh, yeah. Okay, and so... Still there. Still there. Still, okay, starting to CD. Okay, he's not he's not doing anything. Oh, still there. Alright, still there. Okay, now he's not moving anymore. Alright, okay. Sorry, so sorry, point, listeners. Hannah's uh, right. just kind of flicking through all these screens. I'm flicking through back up to where the disband happens that you were questioning about. Yeah. Um, and I think you'll find the one on the supply centre um, happens to be this, from this his one, last yeah. build. Okay. See it? 
Yep. Yep, so that's what I'm thinking is happening. Okay. Excellent. Okay. Yep. All right, so it's a broken bit of software that used to work at one point. It's no longer working, I think. Yeah, okay. Cool. So the thing I need to kind of watch for this game, as I talked about before, is my little flanking movers, movements have been working very well. But I'm mindful that others are starting to try to do flanks as well. To you. Yeah. Like you. Right. So um, it's in this particular map because there's just it's really hard to block those flanking moves. Well, the divided states has um, sea lanes, yeah, yeah, which is specifically put in to make blocking of sea movement difficult. Yeah. So I could imagine why that's a tricksy scenario. It is very tricksy. You know, I had an idea for variant. Oh yeah, tell me about it. Okay, did so you tell me about the last variant? No, no, this is a different variant. Okay, okay. So it's the standard map of Europe. Yes. All right. The standard diplomacy map. Only every territory, land and sea, is treated the same way as sea lanes. I think you told me about this like about ten or fifteen episodes ago. Did I? Keep going, though. I, I, I'm repeating myself then, but okay, so... You have. I remember this because I thought at the time, that's that's a good idea, but it's going to be... A nightmare. Nightmare for smaller territories like, I don't know, Belgium or Netherlands. Actually, the, when, when I, sta- I actually started doing this, the nightmare territory was Norway because of its length. Get to sort of mm. do these big long lines that didn't interconnect with each other's up to. Yeah, okay. Yeah, anyway. So it's an old idea. So would the main supply centre be in the overseas zone? Yes. But there'd be no way you could control that supply centre, hey? You know? Stalemate's lines would just be just gone. You couldn't yeah. go. It's either making all of those territories in there. No, that wouldn't work. No. Yeah, I think it's too too difficult. The reason it works, I think, on a, a sea lanes area is because usually the, it's just the, the sea territories yeah. are so big. Yep. And by creating the you can't put you can't put a trench on a sea. You can't build a wall on a sea. No. No. Why would you build a wall on the sea? Well, that's what I'm saying. You can't stalemate a sea, can you? Like, how do you... Okay. Physically, it doesn't make sense. Gotcha. Um, so, is there anything more we want to talk about that divided states thing at the moment? No, no, or? let's move on to that. Cool. Because the other thing which um, you guys discussed was the tournament of time. Which is now over. Which is now over. How did your team go? We came second. Second? Yay. Hey, that's great. With absolutely no re- no result of my gameplay. <laughs> In fact, actually, I help things. How? Yeah. Getting out of your way. By having poor connectivity and having Big Joe step up and take my place. That made it a lot better. Good on you, Big Joe. <laughs> so Big Joe did well replacing me when I had poor connectivity. Was it back in Easter last year when I was camping? It was, yeah. I was down at um, Lake Mugura. Okay. 
And then he played very well as he, in his scheduled game. And Captain Meme played pretty pretty bloody well as well for his scheduled game. Yeah. We did badly, I think, in our very first game. I can't remember how that worked. But anyway. Poorly from memory. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, we came second. <laughs> so the funny part about all this was, as opposed to my slack-ass tournament director for 1066, no pun intended, is being the... I know, the... I, I, from an online point of view, he's, he's stepped it up a bit in my perspective. So not only is he sent out to players in teams that came first, second or third little certificates for what they came and how they played, he's actually asked for their mailing dress so he can send them proper laminated versions. <laughs> That's great. And then on top of that, he's actually producing a book Outlining the games and how they went, and players' perspectives. A book, a book, a printed, printed book, <laughs> which is going to be provided, I think, to those teams that came first, second, or third for free. And then after that, anyone who wants to, they can just buy it online for a nominal fee. <laughs> Whether they want a PDF version or a, you know, a just-in-time printable version. That's brilliant. So, That's brilliant. how good is that? Um, the thing, I, the way I liked what what he did through each of the um, each of the games was everyone was meant to, although most players didn't. They took on the persona of the actual leader of those particular countries at that point of time. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it'll be interesting to see what the book's like. I haven't been asked to contribute towards the book, which is good, because I think I would not add a lot of value. Um, but I think there's like 22 entries that are going into it or something. I might be making that number up, but it seems to be about the right type of number of, at this point of time after a few drinks. How good is that? Yeah. That's fantastic. So, you have um, to show me a copy when you get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I think most of the players are all getting it in, in the US and because I'm a bit further away it's going to cost a bit more for postage but no pun intended said he'll work something out would you be happy with the PDF? I'd be happy with the PDF I'd just print it out that's cool um, but you know it's meant to be a proper book and so um, that's good I think as a result of that whether we do it before the book's finished or after the book's finished it'll be good I think to get together a few of the, the key players in that tournament um, so there's a few hey It'd be good to interview someone. Yeah, yeah. Yep. So um, we'll organise something, I think. Well, we've, by the time this comes out, we might have organised it. Whoever it happens to be. Whoever it happens to be. Yep. Actually, speaking of that, so a tournament of time, um, with your interview with Captain Meme, he was, you know, like a like an amps pube away from winning. Yeah. And you're gonna ask me how he went. Hat, so he must have come second on that. Like. I remember at the time in the interview, he said something about depending on how the game went, it was highly unlikely we would come first in solo in, in his disillusion game yep. to allow us to we, win the tournament. Because as a player that was, yep. But at the time. We were coming third in the tournament, but it came down to 
a certain player who was sorry a certain team who was trying to prevent us from coming second right so they're propping someone else up I don't know how it all worked but obviously it'll come out in the book there's one more thing you wanted to talk about and that was nuclear diplomacy oh yeah yeah so it was just more from the point of view that it was good that all of a sudden it got a bit of a, a rebirth in that my conversation with Cap because it was an idea I had what two plus years ago was that before the global warming global cooling well it was before that but yep. the amount of um, coding required for nuclear diplomacy was like prohibitive yep. I actually think it would probably lend itself nicely to a forum based game over at Playdip why don't you set yourself up as a GM maybe I'd have to probably talk to no pun intended about the whole map situation though because that's the that's the bitch actually no he always gets someone else to do the maps I thought I might have a word to it. Well, you know how to do maps. You've made maps yourself. No, you just make a map and you just colour code it. It can't be okay. difficult, man. No, no, it is difficult. Every single time I try to create a map, I have to go back and read all the rules and the... Not the rules. Yeah, yeah, but you're not, you're, make, you're, not, you're not making a map for coding. You're just making a map that's, that, that's graphically understandable. Yeah, but if you want to make it available like the way that, say, No Pun Intended does, so you have... Your map changes over time. So you yeah. have, so you have. Okay, let's say you have a, 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 a your core file, and it has all the territories and shit in it. Okay. Yeah. But depending on how the adjudication goes, and with the orders, you then need to kind of provide to everybody online a copy of the current map. Yeah. Which is difficult how. You've just got little unit icons that you move from one spot to another on one layer. You've got a, a name layer and you've got a, a territory layer, which are just different. You do it then. It'd it's be easy, that man. Easy. That's easy. That's it's the so easy, easy part. That's it. simple stuff. Oh. I, look, okay, give me the map. I haven't I'll, got a map. I haven't, drew, I haven't drawn it yet. Aren't you taking off World War Four? I was... Okay, so when I started looking at the... Okay, yes and no... I was originally going to base it off the World War Four map. Okay. But again, from a balanced perspective, when you look at who the nuclear players are and the way the World War Four map is set up with supply centres, it wasn't a fair and balanced outcome because of um, the oversupply of supply centres, obviously, within North um, America. North America. Yeah. China region. And, and you have to significantly rework the China area and the Russia area to be having more supply centers to be able to support the number of um, nuclear arms and things. Exactly the same thing as uh, the Cold War variant I wanted to do. You know, the variant I reckon gets little love, but I think it would be very good for this variant on a variant, would be um, Zeus. Which one's that one again? Zeus. Is that the Greece one? Uh, no, 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 no. I'll, um, I'll, I'll bring it up. In a, I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up. I'll bring it up. Um, but I think you'd. Uh, I think the original it, idea it, was to maybe play light. test. Play, it sounds stupid, but to play test nuclear diplomacy on the classic board. Nuclear diplomacy on the classic board. Well, because okay. the board's already there. Uh, yeah. You yeah. basically just have to test the rules. 
I don't know. No, no, Zeus, Zeus is five. Yep. This one it's is a seven-player game, and it's, it's that one. I think that would be a good one to do. So, so for this one, you're looking down at the world from the Arctic. Oh, yeah. Well, that's a bit bastardised. Like the whole of the UK seems to be almost as big as the whole of North America. Yeah, you look at Italy here. You know, it's uh, and, and the North of Africa, right? I mean, it, yeah. But <laughs> I think this would be a good one for you know, given that you know each power is relative. Each, each of these powers are nuclear, except for Italy and Japan, right, and Germany. But let's say they are. <laughs> So in other words, well, let's say they are, let's say they're all half the powers aren't actually. It doesn't work. Well, let's say they are all nuclear. They've all but got the point, one the, nuclear the point bomb. About, no, the point about nuclear diplomacy, though, was actually I tell a lie. I'm, we're getting two things mixed up. I, I can't remember if it was we're talking about the World War Four map or something else. But with the point with nuclear diplomacy is that you do have that. Okay, the US, Russia particularly have shitloads of nukes. Okay, okay yeah. But it's all dependent on how many supply centers you've got. So if China's got a lot of supply centers, it may choose to go for a lot of nukes. But having smaller supplies, so smaller countries who could play, like Israel or North Korea or Iran or whatever like that, would allow them to still create nukes and actually have a disproportionate, disproportionate power over, say, South Korea because they don't have nukes, even though they might have the same number of supply centers. Could you zoom in on some areas and make them larger with more compact? This is your solution last time around, and I agree. I think visually the whole fisheye lens thing would work very, very well. But, again, this just takes time to do all this stuff and skills that I'm not brilliant at. What about using this map? Gobble it. That's the map I used for something else. I can't remember what it was. I think I started using that map for the... Um, which one was it? The global warming one, wasn't it? No, no, the, the, um, the, the, the frozen one. Uh, okay, yeah. See, that's got potential, hasn't it? Well, yeah, yeah, but... So that's another variant that doesn't but, get a but, lot of love. No, but, you know, you've still got your normal World War One scenario there. Mm. You know me, I like to get a mix of good balance, a bit of fun, a bit of change, but also historically accurate, so... Historically accurate nuclear war. Yeah. Well, yeah, but you can't have, like, pre-World War One Germany involved in nuclear war and pre-World One Austro-Hungarian Empire. Whoa, the roof's moving. Oh, that's cool. So, listeners, the um, there's like a false wall that's been covering, not false wall, false ceiling that's been covering a glass atrium that's now been opened up, giving us louder music, louder music, and more space to bounce that loud music off. One more people here now. I think it's supposed to be pretty packed to come. Friday, Saturday. That is Sunday, isn't it? It's Sunday today, yeah. Well, what about World Diplomacy X? Wait. 
Oh no, that's the one for penguins. Oh, the penguins! Oh my god, that... Yeah, sorry. <laughs> anyway, anyway. Good um, interview with Captain Moon. Yes. Bit of fun. No more interviews of, of, of Globe, Globe Crunning Ambi for a long while yet. Although we may have some there, Melbourne there'll interviews. There'll be some Melbourne interviews, uh, you know, in a few months. That could be fun. No, I reckon. I reckon it'll be a lot of fun. Meet some of those lads down there and get to get involved. Especially Basically if I get schooled. <laughs> <laughs> no doubt. Anyway, I'm Kana. Ambi. See ya. Bye bye. Cheers. <laughs>